You're here with a mission, sir? I am. You're trying to get me back in the world? I'm trying to save it. You think you're the only superhero in the world? You've become part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. This is now playing's Avengers Retrospective Series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Earth's Mightiest Heroes type thing. Part of the now playing Marvel Comic Movie Series. Well, I guess that's worth a look. Hosted by Arnie. Had to put a little coffee in them, but it should be good. Jacob. I know you too. You're great. And Stuart. Sometimes I want to punch you in your perfect teeth. What are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, we will be reviewing all the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies featuring the superheroes Iron Man. I'm just not the, the hero type, clearly. The Incredible Hulk. He was a freak accident. The goal is to do it better. Thor. You're big. Fought bigger. Captain America. How many of you are ready to help me sock old Adolf on the job? Ant-Man. The ultimate secret weapon. Guardians of the Galaxy. What a bunch of a-holes. And the Avengers. I have an army. We have a Hulk. Let me emphasize that what I'm about to share with you is tremendously sensitive both to me personally and the army. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. I'm glad you asked that because I wanted to take this time to explain my evil plan. Listener discretion is advised. I've always been more curious than cautious. So, are we going to do this? Gentlemen, you're up. Longing. Rusted. 17. Daybreak. Furnace. 9. Benign. Homecoming. 1. Freight car. Someone just got assassinated because of that. Good job. (laughs) Today we're discussing... Captain America Civil War, starring, like, literally everybody we've ever discussed in this Avengers series except for Hulk, Thor, and the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, Black Panther, add his name in here. I think that's it. (laughs) Yeah. Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson, Sebastian Stan, Anthony Mackie, Don Cheadle, Jeremy Renner, Chadwick Boseman, there's your Black Panther, Paul Bettany, Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Rudd, Emily Van Camp, Tom Holland, our new Spider-Man, Frank Grillo, William Hurt, and Daniel Bruhl, directed by Anthony Russo and Joe Russo. This is the now-playing co-host who has something kind of big, but can't hold it very long, Arnie. Stuart in L.A. And this is Jacob. And guys, can we just all swap mom's names? Because, man, after Batman v Superman and now Civil War, mother's names are super important. So I need to know them just <laughs> in case you're ever brainwashed a Manchurian candidate so I can bring you back. On the bright side, it wasn't, your mom was killed by Winter Soldier, my mom was killed by Winter Soldier, we're friends now. (laughs) Yeah, I knew we were going to be bringing up Batman v Superman and probably a lot of other things too, but before we even get into that, why isn't the film we just watched called Avengers? (laughs) I want to (laughs) know. What takes it to be an Avengers movie? Is it Nick Fury? I mean, did it need Maria Hill? No, both of them were in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Yeah. Is it because there's no Thor or Hulk here? Thor and Hulk is a big part of it. I think the key is, and 
I'll just lay my cards on the table right now. What makes this a Captain America film is it doesn't have the obligation of giving 20 characters their own little subplots that can't possibly all be fulfilling in a two-hour period. Here, like, when the doors were created, the manager wanted to call them Jim Morrison and the doors. And Morrison was like, no, no, we're all the doors. We're all equal. Well, here we have Captain America... Iron Man, and the Avengers. And that's what it is, is we don't have to have a detailed story arc for Hawkeye and a really in-depth plot for Black Widow. They can just be here kicking ass while we focus on Captain America. And it makes a better film for it. And I don't know if we need a subplot for every character in the Marvel Universe for it to be an Avengers film. I mean, I feel like Black Panther's a pretty big deal in this movie, and this is his first film. Like, Spider-Man's going to get a whole scene with Aunt May, which feels out of place. Like, I, I agree. This is Avengers film, Stuart. Yeah, I also think, or at least the vibe I was getting is, they're telling you whose side to be on. They didn't want to call this Cap V Iron Man. They wanted to let you know that Captain America is in the right. He's the one that we're rooting for in this battle. Maybe, but I really want to credit their social media marketing because all the way up to this, I mean, for going on for six months, whose side are you on? Team Cap or Team Iron Man? They got hashtags going. It became a thing, like all around. And even in my own house, Marjorie was clearly Team Cap. I was Team Iron Man going in. It was... I was surprised that DC didn't try something similar. There was no, are you team soups or team bats? It was team cap, team Iron Man. And part of me thinks this was a Captain America movie because it picks up on so many threads from the Winter Soldier. And part of me wonders if it's just like this contract thing. Like we said, we're doing cap three and we have the contract for cap three and let's just see who else we can squeeze in it. I also think there's one other factor here, too. Winter Soldier was, in my estimation, the most brutal movie Marvel has ever put out. And I do think that if you loved Ant-Man, if you have wee ones, <laughs> you might be a little hesitant to go into this one. It is not quite as brutal as Winter Soldier, but I do feel like the Cap movies, at least the last one and this one, more sophisticated, more adult, more violent. I credit the Russos with that. I think this one matches or at times exceeds Winter Soldier for brutality. And these are the two films directed by the Russo brothers who basically have inherited the mantle from Joss Whedon as Keeper of the Avengers. They did Winter Soldier and everybody liked it so much they were immediately put in charge of Cap 3 and the next two Avengers movies and helping to oversee the entire Marvel Universe. That may be because they come from TV, so they're better at towing the line for Disney slash Marvel than Whedon was. Well, let's not forget you, me, and Dupree, their previous filmatic effort. I haven't even seen it, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Whedon came from TV, but uh, Whedon is out, and I think after The Last Avengers, everyone's a little okay with that. I actually have been on a little bit of a... I don't want to say I'm stalking the Captain America people, but I went to New Orleans. (laughs) But you're stalking them. (laughs) I had a chance to meet the Russos and talk with them, albeit briefly, about this. And I did tell them, yeah, Winter Soldier's like the best movie. So no pressure. (laughs) And they found out that Marjorie and I were on different teams. And they're like, so you guys are going to have a really complex date night then. And I mean, I met briefly Chris Evans and talked about Scott Pilgrim and 
Hemsworth. I went to Cleveland and again met the Russos and Chris Hemsworth and a whole bunch of people. And I'm soon going to Philly where I'm going to at least shake hands with Tom Hiddleston. So I've been a little hyped for this. And really, I've been at panels with like half the cast or more talking about this movie. Emily Van Camp, Frank Grillo, Anthony Mackie, Sebastian Stan, Chris Evans, all up there talking about their characters and their roles while remaining spoiler free. I don't know if I could have been too much more hyped for this movie than I was. Uh, You know, it's phase three. I I don't know if that feels significant. I don't know if that means that it's going to be a new era or that it ups the stakes or anything. To me, it means, yeah, you've already seen 12 of these. I kind of knew what I was in for. I (laughs) thought I was going to like this one. I liked Winter Soldier and same creative team behind this. I went in with almost no spoilers known because I had done no research for this. I had seen one trailer. Yeah, I had just seen some of the trailers. Uh, I wish they would have kept that Spider-Man thing more of a secret, but we'll talk about that. I knew the comic storyline Civil War. That I mean, we've mentioned it here and there before throughout these Marvel films. Is that the one where they all go to a different planet? I, I remember the brief time I was in comic books, that was the storyline everyone was excited about. That's Secret Wars when they wanted to launch a toy line, so they created a comic to hype it. Okay. No, Civil War took place this century in the aftermath of 9-11 and the Patriot Act, huh. and it really is about liberty versus security. And it was Iron Man on the side of the government who passed a law, a superhero registration act after a superhero explodes and kills kids at a school they pass a law that all superheroes must be registered and reveal their secret identities and act as government employees and iron man signs up along with a bunch of others and captain america leads a group of rebels underground who don't want to register and thus are pursued by shield and iron man as criminals And let me just point our listeners to booksandnachos.com, where in March of 2013, in the aftermath of the Avengers hype and still going strong from that 2012 movie, I did read every Civil War comic, like 127 of them, if memory serves on that count. Oh, there's so many. All the tie-ins, all the little news issues. And I reviewed, they condensed all of it down to a prose novel by Stuart Moore. That review is on Books and Nachos. And I also interviewed Stuart Moore over on Marvelicious Toys. So I have really gone deep into the Civil War comics. I knew what that was about. And I knew that wouldn't be what this is about. The one thing you mentioned, Spider-Man, when they said that the name of this movie was Civil War, everybody was like, well, how are they going to do it without Spider-Man? You can't do it without Spider-Man. Because in the comics, Spider-Man was your conscience, and he first started teaming up with Iron Man, and he was like our point of view character, and slowly over the course of the arcs, he realizes, I'm on the wrong side, ends up battling Iron Man and siding with Cap. And so everybody's like, well, you have to have Spider-Man, you have to have Spider-Man, like any character can be that point of view. But nonetheless, they did find a way to move mountains and partner with Sony and get Spider-Man in here in a much smaller role. Yeah, one of the few things I knew about this movie, I can't say I was super hyped for that, but I had seen the little clip of him, you know, his introduction in the suit. You know, uh, we've had a lot of reboots with Spider-Man. We're going to have another. (laughs) This is the one that's got to stick, right? Because he is home now. This is where he is going to be. And so it's most important they get this one right. Sorry, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, but 
this is the guy that has to get it right. You guys were replaceable. This guy isn't. Well, he might be. It's really complex. Suffice it to say, he is still owned by Sony, and part of the reason he wasn't even advertised until he was was because... Like, Sony had an equal say with Marvel in the handling of the character, so he's not home, and this next year's Spider-Man movie is a Sony movie oh. that Marvel is advising on. Interesting. They've just kind of gotten bed together instead of giving full custody to one of the parents. But Tom Holland will be the star of that movie next year. Yes, Tom Holland, not the Fright Night director, but a young British actor. Well, that's like Andrew Garfield. He was a young British guy, wasn't he? <laughs> I guess that's who we pick for Spider-Man these days. <laughs> yeah, I think if you go back to that original Iron Man review, I mentioned, like, it was a crazy time for an Iron Man movie to come out because Civil War had happened where Iron Man had become, like, the supreme asshole in the Marvel Universe. Like, he did not have a good rep in the comic universe then. And that film kind of redeemed him from that. But, yeah, I feel like I'm with you, Stuart. I've, I've seen a lot of these. I kind of know what's going to happen. I have a little bit more hope because I loved... The Winter Soldier, my biggest problem with these Marvel films have been their villains. Bucky has been the best villain thus far. So coming back to Captain America and, hey, where the good guys who are the best part of the Marvel Universe are also the villains, that might work for me. Because I Magic Stones and these one-dimensional bad guys, eh, I'm over them. But that gave me some hope that, hey, we're just going to focus on the actual characters that we've enjoyed in all these films. But I I wasn't DEFCON 1 level hype like you were, Arnie. You mentioned the Russo brothers. They made an appearance at my theatrical screening. I saw this movie opening night at IMAX, and all of the trailers were filled with personal pleas from the creative teams. It was almost like Sally Struthers. Remember when she was like, won't you please help these children? Like all these directors, you know, David Bowie's son was like, please come to Warcraft. Oh, that that Warcraft ad was in mine, and it was awkward. Yeah, and Tim Burton popped up. I got none of those. The Russos <laughs> popped up, too, to tell me that I was about to see something. They're like, we know you came here for the special scene that's been shot at IMAX. I don't even know what they're referring to. <laughs> oh, boy. I have seen this movie three times now, and I'll we are recording this Sunday after release. I've been to theaters three times in three different formats. I saw it in regular theater 2D opening night. I then saw it in IMAX 2D Saturday, and then I saw it in IMAX 3D on Sunday. Uh, None of them had the Russos talking about that, but I did know this was the first film that was utilized a new 2D IMAX camera. In the past, when they'd shoot all those IMAX things, they were using a camera built for 3D. This was a brand new camera intended for 2D filming, so the 3D post-conversion, even in IMAX, had so little worthwhile. The 2D was the way to see it. But that entire opening in Lagos was filmed with the IMAX cameras. Oh, okay. I was wondering what I was supposed to be amazed by, but I couldn't see any point where the 3D or the IMAX played any more role than it has in any other time that I watched it. You know, and I went to this, I went Saturday morning, I went to the first showing Saturday morning thinking, no one's going to get up this early on. It was at 9.30 a.m. No one's going to get up. It was almost sold out. I was shocked. Like, it it was a packed theater. 
even Saturday morning when people are hungover sleeping in. Yeah, it's got a huge opening weekend, 180 million projected at the current moment, and might even be bigger than that. But everyone knows that Marvel at this point in the game rules the roost, which is why, let's face it, Batman v Superman got pushed out and was released early. Don't forget, that movie was scheduled to open this weekend, and Marvel came in with real dicks about it, and we're like, nope, we're going to release our movie at the same time. So you're welcome to release your little battle, but you will be sharing screens with us. Wouldn't that be amazing if we were watching these movies side by side? (laughs) Maybe that's why they both have to do with moms, because it's Mother's Day weekend. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think my mom would want to see either. But uh, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, thematically, I'm sure we're going to get into it as soon as we get into this plot. Arnie? When an Avengers mission in Lagos causes innocent people to be killed, the UN passes the Sokovia Accords, laws that state the Avengers will be under the control of a UN task force. While Iron Man Tony Stark, played for the seventh time by Robert Downey Jr., Black Widow Natasha Romanoff, played by Scarlett Johansson, War Machine James Rhodes, played by Don Cheadle, and Android Vision, played by Paul Bettany, all think oversight is a good idea. Captain America Steve Rogers, played for the seventh time by Chris Evans, Scarlet Witch Wanda Maximoff, played by Elizabeth Olsen, and Falcon Sam Wilson, played by Anthony Mackie, all refuse to sign. This causes Captain America to be outside the law when he goes to confront his old pal, James Bucky Barnes, a former Hydra agent known as the Winter Soldier. Barnes is framed for an explosion outside the UN building in Vienna that caused the death of King T'Chaka of Wakanda, and troops have been ordered to find Barnes and shoot to kill. Also after Bucky is T'Chaka's son T'Challa, played by Chadwick Boseman, who, in addition to being the king, is Warrior the Black Panther, garbed in skin-tight, bulletproof vibranium armor. I don't feel like that would be very flexible. (laughs) Well, that's the (laughs) benefit of vibranium. It's like spandex with bulletproof features. Don't go judging vibranium. It's a fake thing. You don't know. (laughs) I don't. I wouldn't be the first to put on the shirt, though. I'll just say I've been present in too many adamantium versus vibranium. (laughs) debates in my day. With info provided by CIA agent Sharon Carter, Peggy Carter's niece, played by Emily Van Camp, Cap and Falcon try to save Bucky, but the three plus Black Panther are arrested for breaking the Accords. When Bucky's sleeper orders are activated and he kills some people, they must flee to try to stop the mastermind behind all of this. Sokovian Kill Squad leader Colonel Helmet Zemo, played by Daniel Bruhl. Zemo lost his entire family during the Battle of Sokovia in Age of Ultron. Zemo then hatched an intricate plot not to kill the Avengers, but to set them against each other. He lays a trail to the Winter Soldier's original training facility in Siberia, and Cap, Bucky, Wanda, and Falcon are joined by Clint Barton Hawkeye, played by Jeremy Renner, and Ant-Man Scott Lang, played by Paul Rudd. But as they're operating without UN authority, Iron Man tries to bring them in with the aid of Vision, War Machine, Black Panther, Black Widow, and Spider-Man, a young hero Tony discovered in Queens, New York, played by Tom Holland. In a major battle, War Machine is hit by friendly fire, causing paralysis, and Cap and Bucky alone get on a Quinjet to Moscow, thanks to Black Widow changing allegiances mid-fight. Tony finds out Cap was right about Zemo and goes to Siberia to aid his friend. But that's when Zemo's plan comes to full fruition. 
he reveals one of Winter Soldier's missions was in 1991 when he killed Tony Stark's parents, Howard Stark and his wife, and stole the Super Soldier Serum. Cap knew about this mission, and Tony tries to kill the former Winter Soldier to avenge his parents. Cap intervenes, and all three get horribly bloodied and at times all nearly die in a massive fight, but Cap and Bucky are victorious, leaving Tony there in his damaged armor. Black Panther witnesses all this, and rather than, you know, stepping in and doing anything, just realizes the futility of vengeance and stops Zemo from killing himself, turning him over to authorities instead. And T'Challa also tries to aid Bucky, who wants to go back into cryogenic freeze as he cannot trust the sleeper agent instructions in his head. And now Cap, Wanda, Bucky, Black Widow, Falcon, Hawkeye, and Ant-Man are fugitives wanted by the UN, and left alone at Avengers HQ is Tony Stark, Vision, and Rhodey undergoing rehab. But a letter comes from Cap along with a cell phone, saying his team will be there if Tony needs them, as credits roll. A lot of names. Civil War. You know, I know that they're tying into that because that was a comic book run. And yes, denotes the idea that this battle is really a split between the Avengers. But I also think it describes how the battle is going to go. No casualties. We got to keep it civil, right? Disney demands no blood. So what's going to be interesting about this is to see how they're going to engineer this plot so that we can credibly believe that Tony is going to go against Steve, but more important, that these people are going to battle. How many punches are they going to pull? How many times are they going to actually go for a kill? I mean, that's the curiosity I have when this opens up in Siberia and we're reminded of how bad Winter Soldier is. Yeah, this 1991 opening, when the Winter Soldier movie came out two years ago, I read fan theories online and they sounded credible enough that it was going to be revealed in a future movie that... Bucky killed Tony's parents, and that was going to start off Civil War. That was two years ago, long before they'd even announced exactly what the plan was. And so when we see this mission in 1991, and we see this junky car, it's a Lincoln, I think, being shot up by Winter Soldier, I'm like, well, that could be Howard Stark, but I think he'd be chauffeured. Yeah, more security around him, a better car all around. I was not thinking of Howard Stark at all. Like, I guess I was thinking Siberia, that Winter Soldier didn't go that far from there. It, it seemed like a very quick jump cut, but I'm like, oh, that's like super, that's got to be Super Soldier Serum in the back. But yeah, Stark never came across my mind. Not to mention, I didn't think of Tony being a college-age kid in 91 and that his father was even alive in this time. I mean... Yeah, I thought he'd passed before then. I guess I'm an old dude, but to me, 1991 doesn't feel that long ago. So I was like, oh, it can't be the Starks because they've been long dead. So I never guessed. But the one thing I did know was this movie was going to be brutal. That even though we don't see who's being killed, it feels like a brutal kill. Yeah, that's one of the things that I remember from Winter Soldier with the Russos. They could really do a good car accident. Like, when those cars smash, you could feel it. It it feels like an actual car accident, and it feels just like that when Bucky attacks that car here. Yeah, and with the blue pouches in the trunk, I didn't know what that was. I probably should have, since I was suspecting this was Howard Stark. It becomes crystal clear to me in a couple scenes later, because we're going to, when we first see Tony Stark, see them using that same Michael Douglas de-aging 
This is creepy time machine shit going on. Weird science. I, I wanted to pull out a copy of Weird Science. Yeah, and compare. Yes, it. Weird Science aged Robert Downey Jr. there with his parents. And I'm like, okay, you're reminding us, his parents, who they were, that they're dead. Just in case you aren't a fanatic like me and don't realize all this coming in, we're going to have this completely needless flashback scene with some $611 million technology so that we know Tony has some unresolved dead parent issues. Look, it is one of the few things that they actually remind you of. There's so much like, didn't see Ant-Man? Good luck knowing what's going on with Scott Lang. Like, they expect you to have seen all 12 previous movies. I I like that they reminded me of a few things because I was struggling at times to remember what I'd seen before. Yeah, and I don't think barf, that's what the technology is called, (laughs) is so useless. I see it as an extension of what he was playing with Previously, in Iron Man 3 and Avengers, Tony was playing with how to mess with the hypothalamus, but it is different. You know, last time he made Ultron, and this time, yeah, he's dealing with regret. We see a very remorseful Tony. We see a different Tony. We see a Tony I like again. I'm happy to say, and in many cases this is true with all the characters, if I had problems with them in previous installments, I really don't have a problem with most of the characterizations in this movie. I like everybody. Oh, the Russos fixed so many characters, and we'll get to them, but I agree. I mean, characters who were problematic in previous movies are awesome here. And yeah, Tony Stark at the beginning, we find him wounded. We're going to find out he and Pepper Potts are on a break. Okay, so that's new for this film, right? Yeah, and it's not just because they couldn't get Gwyneth, because strong, strong rumors... I mean, it's not confirmed by the Russos or anything, but there's been sightings of Gwyneth on set filming pickup scenes, and I guess they just decided the movie was stronger without them. But we have a Pepper Potts-less Tony Stark, the first of many girlfriends that aren't going to come back, right? Portman? You know, I think it's the right impulse that he realizes, much like the real Robert Downey Jr., that his addiction has cost him his personal life, and he's going to try to fix that. He's going to have a lot of dialogue throughout this movie that he is working to earn back trust. And what it does is it puts our two principles on the two different sides I would never suspect them to be. We have the guy that breaks all the rules wanting to follow the rules, we have the soldier who doesn't want to follow orders. I think that's a brilliant twist. I never would have guessed that this is the way it would have shaken up. It goes to show that Captain America isn't about following the government. He's about American values and about liberty, you know? He should run for office, really, like this year. (laughs) (laughs) Can he get the number of delegates he needs? At least get the contested election. We will fix it. Just say you're running. (laughs) But... We also get it crystallized in a scene with Tony backstage at MIT with Alfre Woodard, who is the mother of a young boy who died during that Sokovia incident in Age of Ultron. And she gives him, you know, a survivor sob story. Everybody will have one if you have somebody who died in a tragic accident. But being confronted with her and Alfre Woodard being the actress she is and bringing the emotion she does really hits it home for Tony. Yeah, I'm just glad to see her not holding that Annabelle doll and jumping out windows. It's a much better cameo for an actress I do like here. And Alfre Woodard is going to play a totally different Marvel Universe character in the Luke Cage TV series in just a couple months so she must have been around i guess yeah you know that moment where 
Stark is confronted by this mother who, you know, she holds that picture up. That is very much out of Civil War. Like, that is how Tony decides to go with the pro-registration side. Is It's that personal interaction. And a mother comes up to him and said, here's my kid that died in that explosion. Like, what are you going to do about it? And I feel like Tony... You know, in Iron Man 2, yeah, we saw him. I don't want the government touching my tech. I'll control it all. I'm the best. I do feel like he has a reason to try to make amends and go with the government. I'm not sure about any other superhero in the Marvel Universe needing to do that. Tony's got issues that he needs to repent for, but I don't know about anyone else. I agree with you, Jacob. Like you said, Stuart, the Russos fixed Tony. Ever since Iron Man 3, Tony has been kind of a problematic character for me. He destroyed all his armors, and then he's back in the armors in Age of Ultron conveniently with no explanation, and then he creates Ultron. There's so much going on with Tony that even though I felt Iron Man was my favorite hero of the Marvel Universe coming in, the last couple movies had hadn't treated him well. And with just a couple lines discussing Pepper Potts and everything, they fix him right. And it's easy to get on his side, especially since, yeah, this movie is called Captain America. And when we start the movie right after the Marvel logo and we are in Lagos in present day and Cap is leading these new Avengers. We ended Age of Ultron with... War Machine, Scarlet Witch, Falcon, Vision. Well, Vision and War Machine stayed home, but Scarlet Witch, Black Widow, Cap, and Falcon are there to stop Brock Rumlow, who has now become Crossbones uh, Mercenary. You guys remember him from Winter Soldier? Yeah, yeah, I remember him. He blew up, and I guess he lived. They did show him like in a scene at the end getting wheeled into a hospital. Yeah, you guys told me that he was going to become Crossbones. It's a surprise that this is the only Crossbones (laughs) we're ever going to (laughs) see. I thought he was going to be a bigger deal. Like, I really like what they did with his outfit. What's funny to me is, you know, being in buying the toys, they made a ton of Crossbones merchandise. Like, Funko made five different bobbleheads. It's crazy the amount of Crossbones merchandise. Well, that's normal for Funko. Yeah, yeah, true. But I thought he was going to be like a major nemesis in this film. And basically, he is to Civil War what Batroc the Leaper was to Winter Soldier, (laughs) which is just an opening mission guy who's going to be taken down in order to set up a bigger plot. What's weird, though, is that even Patroc the Leaper, like, that whole scene on the boat played into the bigger plot. Like, it was all about Black Widow downloading some information and putting it on a USB drive. Here, Crossbones and his gang is going after, I don't know, some kind of disease. I was actually wondering if that was tying into what I assumed was the super soldier serum that we saw get stolen by Bucky at the beginning of the film. But no, this plays no part into it. It doesn't matter. To me, this does three things. First, it it reintroduces us to these new Avengers and their powers. I had totally forgotten how Age of Ultron ended. So I'm like, it it took me a second. I'm like, oh yeah, this is actually like the new Avengers team. I'm watching an Avengers (laughs) film right now. Yeah, They've really fixed Scarlet Witch, too. Last time she could move stuff and shoot stuff and mess with your mind. Here, she's a telekinetic. She's a super telekinetic, and we go with that. We're introduced to Falcon and his new suit and his little Red Wing drone. Yeah, we you know, drones have gotten such bad press. We really do need, like, an R2-D2 drone to, to <laughs> like. And I do like uh, Red Wing. And this is, it's an analog to the comic where Falcon wore feathers and he actually had a Falcon pet with him at the time. So that's part one, is introducing us to the team. Part two 
I think is actually we are seeing Crossbones and his team try to escape to an airport and Crossbones finally realizes we're not all going to make it to this plane. I'm going to stay behind and actually sacrifice myself. You guys take the agents and fulfill the mission. We're going to see Cap make that very same choice later on in the movie. So you're saying Cap's going to get his idea from a bad guy. I'm just saying it's setting up a pattern of racing to the airport and having to stay behind and sacrifice yourself. Then the third thing it does is, and this is to me the most brutal scene. I mean, Crossbones, he's kicking some ass. Frank Grillo's a big guy and he's really punching his way. He's got like spring-loaded gloves. He's a badass. But when he does, as anyone would, lose to Cap, he's going to go suicide bomber to take Cap with him. Scarlet Witch, like, keeps that explosion in a bubble, and the scene of Frank Grillo's face, like, in agony, trapped in this explosion bubble, it haunts me. Yeah, and she throws him into a building which has visiting Wakandan, you know, I don't even know what they're doing, but people die, and I groan because I know it means I gotta go to the mic and have the same conversation I've been having since Man of Steel with you guys. Here, Here's the thing, Stuart, I am with you this time, like... If they had done Man of Steel this well, I would have been Team Superman. I I feel like the Avengers get an unfair rap. I don't know why they're bringing New York up against them. They were sanctioned by S.H.I.E.L.D. They were working for the government. The government wanted to drop a nuke on New York. I'll go with the Avengers on that one. I don't know why they bring up what happened with Captain America in D.C. Uh, Sorry, government. You let Hydra infest your ranks and do that. Sokovia, again, well, that's Stark's fault. But they did a whole lot to like help save the place and this i didn't even feel like scarlet witch so much threw crossbones into the building it was just like i I felt like she almost just lost control trying to contain that explosion yeah we'll see people make mistakes throughout this vision who i think is her counterpart will later make a tactical error that's pretty bad as well but wow i i don't have to have this debate again thank you jacob i don't know why you've had a turnaround (laughs) but i'm grateful i don't have to reiterate the fact that i don't want to watch superheroes vilified for being super because marvel has written it better here my problem is this seems convoluted to get to this point In that comic, the explosion happens because a reality TV show is filming a superhero team go after bad guys when the bad guys blows up a school. Like, that felt more motivated than what motivates this in the film. And to me, it's just all in the writing and all in how it's handled. This is going to be a precipitating event. It is not the only event. The fact that they bring up New York, yes, there was an alien invasion, but they do choose to show footage of Hulk smashing, which Hulk does very well. Hired by S.H.I.E.L.D., though, a government agency. Captured by S.H.I.E.L.D., and I don't know, the way they discuss it, it doesn't sound like the organization above shield is government it made it sound privately funded in this film when they're talking about it but they had nukes so i'm not quite sure i just like that this is a precipitating event and this is going to be a example of a larger conversation about it versus just happening in the background there's going to be accountability for these deaths and it's just the cherry on top of all the destruction that have come in the previous films and it's it did make me think of man of steel and how that started the conversation about this destruction porn and marvel's happy to still have that conversation at dc's expense but they're doing it right 
Yeah. Well, obviously, it's better written than Batman v Superman. I'll definitely put that out there early and often. But I also think what's happening here is that they're not just accountable to S.H.I.E.L.D., which always kind of felt like an American organization, or at least it seemed largely based in America. What they're going to have to be asked to sign puts them at the mercy of 117 countries. The Sokovia Accords is really a UN panel that is going to say if Falcon can ever strap on his wings again. Look, I don't want to get real political. I don't know if I want the UN in charge of superheroes, though. All I'm thinking about is that scene in The Phantom Menace when, like, the Queen is pleading for help, and they're like, well, uh, we got to investigate this whole blockade that's going on. Are, are you open to that? Like, that's how I feel like the UN <laughs> controlling superheroes would go. Yeah, I agree with that. It's a thorny issue. You know, I went in Team Iron Man because I like Iron Man. I like his suits. I like his tech. I'd like to party with Tony Stark. But when it gets to this issue, I'm really torn and it's, I see both sides. I mean, I don't want the UN in charge of superheroes. By the same token, are the superheroes in charge of themselves any better with no accountability? It divides the team and I can't make up my mind still. I think the most interesting argument is actually brought up by the Vision. Now, going over to the Batman comics for a second, there is a supervillain, or not really even a supervillain, he's just a bad guy named Anarchy, whose whole thing is there's a Joker and a Penguin because there's a Batman. Like, the, the superheroes create even worse villains. And so if we get rid of Batman, we'll get rid of the supervillains. And that's kind of what the Vision brings up, is like, oh, as the superhero population grows, the opposition also increases and, and gets more fear. So I, I think he has kind of an interesting viewpoint on it that, like, we got to really think through this still don't want to go with the UN though it just reminded me of the end of Batman Begins with Commissioner Gordon talking about escalation but it's a good point and speaking of Commissioner Gordon this movie also has a mustached higher power with authority Tony when he wants to find some accountability goes and gets his old pal Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross played by once again William Hurt Former general, now he is Secretary of State. We last saw him in Incredible Hulk, a movie I thought entirely Marvel was trying to sweep under the rug because of the Edward Norton thing. Did William Hurt play him in that one too? He did. Okay, so same Ross. He had an end credit scene, I think, at the end of Iron Man too, as well. No, it was at the end of Incredible Hulk. Hulk had no end credit scene, but the last scene is Tony Stark showing up telling Ross we need to recruit somebody. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I do remember him, yes, being in the mix. I, it was kind of nice to see him get a promotion, I suppose. Again, I'm always a fan when they bring in the old generation that never would have done a comic book movie and puts them in this. The Robert Redfords, the Jeff Bridges. I always want to see how they're utilized here. Yeah, but he did Lost in Space. Every so often he likes to slum it. Yeah, well, they all do what it takes, but... <laughs> You know, I suppose he just sort of works as a, you know, bureaucratic villain that, you know, he's the one that is, again, pushing the idea that if you don't sign that it could be the end for all superheroes. And I do like that. I mean, it's just a one stinger at Incredible Hulk, but we saw that Tony and Ross knew each other in that scene. And it, Tony goes and gets Ross. He goes and brings the Secretary of State in. In many ways, Tony spurred the Sokovia Accords after that Alfre Woodard scene because he calls him in. When he goes to the Avengers compound, he brings Ross with him. 
Yeah, I don't think that either is wrong. And honestly, I don't think they're that far apart. What I'm seeing is that Tony, racked with guilt, is willing to do whatever it takes to make people feel better about him. You know, he gave a bunch of MIT students, funded all their projects. He's he's willing to do whatever it takes. If this is what they want, I'll play ball. I never played ball before, and it's cost lives. So I'm going to play ball. And Cap is more concerned with, can we trust... UN panels. Yeah, I've seen Hydra infiltrate S.H.I.E.L.D. Can a political body be trusted not to be infiltrated again? And then you have Widow, who's like, I just want the team together. I'll do whatever it takes as long as there isn't a civil war. As long as we can stay together, I don't care who our boss is. Interesting point of view from Black Widow, the lone assassin spy Russian who previously talked about how empires come and empires go. It was strange to see her the one of like, let's keep the band together. But I guess somebody had to do it. Well, you know, she works for Tony, but she's got besties with Cap and maybe even a little bit more. I've always wondered what that relationship is and they keep teasing it here. I know she's supposed to love Banner and Hulk, but I think that she could go Cap's way. Did you see those arms? I could go Cap's way. For Sun's <laughs> out, guns out in this film. No, Ken, that bicep, it's like, I need to reevaluate life choices. I was looking closely. I'm like, are those CGI? No, those no, are No, those are real. Damn, that, was, yeah. that was quite a gun show when he was on that helicopter. Yeah. I, I think every woman would, you know. <laughs> no, but I do feel like Tony Stark's going to call it out later in the film with Black Widow. It's like, when does the double aging game ever end with you? I do feel like she tries to play things on both sides to maybe go the best route. Yeah, it's what she's comfortable doing. Frankly, it's who she is. She is a double agent and will go back and forth throughout this movie. And I like that. I like that we have two sides and someone caught in the middle and we like them all. I like every single one. And and Vision too. You know, I want to say a lot of these newbie characters that I was like, eh, after Ultron, I think Vision's hilarious with the preppy garb and that weird old <laughs> face. And, you know, he doesn't have much to do here, but I feel like if you like it, these characters, everyone gets a moment. His makeup is astounding. We didn't get a good chance to look at it in Ultron, I felt. But in this one, so detailed, so glossy. It's just so astounding to me that it's actually a person in makeup and not a full CGI creation. But I like that they do give him a flirtation with Wanda in this. You know, in the comics, the two of them get married and everything. So to see them trying to bring it up here, and it actually works. It's really sweet when he's trying to make the paper cash a little later on. They're going to be on opposite sides, but it's going to hurt them because they have this relationship, this bond. It's it's an analog in the comic. They did this uh, Sue Storm of the Fantastic Four went with Cap and Reed Richards went with Tony. So they kind of did that here with Vision and Wanda. And already Wanda, also a character so fixed. Uh, and Elizabeth Olsen, she's, that accent's kind of going. You know, it comes and it goes. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think they're going to eventually, they're going to Halle Berry her where like next time we see her, she's just all American. <laughs> I definitely noticed that. But again, civil war. Everyone's trying to be nice. There is, just because I disagree with you doesn't mean I don't like you. The break isn't so clean that these people are going to instantly, people don't fight over issues per se. It, it's when it becomes more personal that we're going to see the real gloves off, blood on the floor kind of fighting. And I'll say this, again, I'm not totally convinced over the arguments for why there's going to be this civil war in this film. It feels contrived to me. But these actors, I will credit them, when they're just sitting around debating it, 
I'm buying that. Like, maybe we don't need to have that fight. Maybe it can't be civil, like you're saying, Stuart, because these actors are engaging and they are, they do feel like they're at the top of their game, especially maybe I'm downplaying it because it's a superhero film. So I'm just like, ah, I don't expect this kind of thing, but I do feel like I'm engaged with these debates at least. And this movie is action-packed wall-to-wall. I mean, I've seen it three times. This movie could so much be chat, 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 debate, debate, debate. It has its character moments, and they are moving, and they are engrossing, and they also bring with them levity. Each of these characters has a moment to be funny as well as to be serious. So I like these moments, but... Honestly, this is just to put Cap saying, I won't sign and I'm going to be outside the law because it is going to get more personal very quickly, starting with Peggy Carter from the previous movie. She died in her sleep. We saw her as an old woman in Winter Soldier. Was she British? She was. I always assumed she was American. No, she had the British accent. And okay, I haven't she, gone back to watch those films where they've actually had her, so. I guess you're not watching Peggy Carter, the TV nope. show either. Uh, it's kind of funny to me that her character died right about the same time as her TV series. It's not official, but the upfronts are in a week, and I do not expect to see Agent Carter on them. Yeah, there's no need to continue. And it's not bad. I'll just throw it out there. I like it better than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But yeah, Peggy is gone. And while Cap was not going to be with her, it is yet another thing from the past. You know, he's lost Bucky. Now he's lost his girl. The past that he was connected to becomes more and more of a distant thing. He's becoming more and more of a loner. And he will talk about that at the end of the movie, about how he's being left behind. And yeah, I feel for him here at the funeral. But they do use this time to reveal Agent 13's real name, Sharon Carter, which was a mystery in The Winter Soldier. Yeah, they just called her Kate and Agent. But because we watched, if you go back to the archives, the J.D. Salinger's son, Captain America film. Or just read the comics. I mean, (laughs) they're finally catching up to me. But yeah, they're bringing her in as definitely the love interest. And might I just say. At one point, he's going to kiss Agent 13 in this movie, and I'm like, they had to do this because without Cap kissing a woman, this is absolutely the gayest love triangle ever between Falcon, Cap, and Bucky. Not that I wouldn't like that movie, but it's just they needed to establish somebody's hetero because Cap and Falcon are like buds, but then Cap's going to go looking for his ex with Winter Soldier. Maybe I'm just influenced by somebody I know who pointed me at a Tumblr that is totally making out a Falcon-Cap relationship out of Winter Soldier, but... It's here. This could be maybe something <laughs> that they're hoping for. I mean, it's there if you want it. It already exists on the internet, trust me. I didn't get a huge homoerotic vibe. I got a sexless vibe, mostly. That they're teasing Sharon as a romantic interest is hurtful to me because you guys told me what she's eventually going to do. I can't see this as a good thing because you guys already told me she's going to assassinate him. Well, we don't know if that's going to happen in the cinematic universe. Ah, it's going to happen. I know they're going to do that. This this feels too written. You know what I mean? It's like, it's all a buildup to, to another tragedy. No, but they did that at the end of Civil War, though. So I now don't think they're going to go there with this. Okay, then we, I, we will agree to disagree. I feel like I can't be happy for Cap. I do feel like he is becoming more and more a renegade as this movie progresses. Even if she is, yes, supposedly helping him along. 
But isn't that the elephant in the room? Like, already called out seven times Chris Evans, seven times Tony Stark. Like, they are going to be going away eventually, and and they got to set that up at some point. It feels like almost every movie they've given themselves a chance to write him out. But in this movie, she's not going to shoot Cap. She's going to inspire him. It really seems to me that this speech where Sharon is quoting Peggy from Beyond the Grave is speaking to Cap's immediate issue here. And the speech she gives, it has great resonance. It turns out it's actually from one of the Civil War comics, not in the main line. It was in Amazing Spider-Man. This is the speech Captain America gives to Spider-Man that helps Spider-Man change his side. And I think in this moment, Cap really starts to feel his decision being made against signing. He kind of goes back on that a little bit later, but this speech... The whole plant yourself like a tree and tell the world, no, you move. It's a little on the nose. Kind of reminds me of Gwen Stacy's graduation speech, but it does move Cap. And then after that, Black Widow comes in in a really touching scene. She's headed to Vienna to present the accords to the UN, but she's there just to comfort Cap. And you said you think widow could go with cap i took this as just cap needed a friend he couldn't quite trust sharon because she was spying on him and falcon and he are you know they're dude bros they're not gonna you know cry on each other's shoulder widow was there to give him a hug when he needed it because he is alone i thought that scene really drove home how alone cap was and it served to segue to vienna where we are introduced to T'Challa and T'Chaka. <laughs> Weren't they on Land of the Lost? <laughs> <laughs> that was just Chaka, no T. Okay, yeah. I vaguely remember the references to Wakanda in Ultron. I remember that Andy Serkis was dealing vibranium out of there, and I didn't know much more about the politics, but we are told that there were 11 people visiting Nigeria from Wakanda that were killed, and thus it makes what the king is saying, and the fact that he is here for the signing of the Accords, more central. Basically, though, this is a buildup for Black Panther, right? I mean... A lot of these characters we have already seen before, so it makes the ones that we haven't seen before more exciting. I'm more excited to see how they're going to work Black Panther in here than really how this war is going to shake out. I want to give the Russos credit again, because we know that Joss Whedon was given a laundry list of things to do. He wanted to do an Ultron story, but he also had to bring in Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver. He had to do a bathing scene with Thor, yeah. Exactly. (laughs) So, I don't know if the Russo brothers were told, you must introduce Spider-Man and you must introduce Black Panther, but Black Panther feels organic to this story. The same way as Colonel Zemo is going to be a villain here, having the fact that these were Wakandans killed, having the fact that we're going to have the king of Wakanda killed in this explosion, it makes him feel like even if they weren't planning the Black Panther movie in a couple years, he might really fit in this one. It does not distract. Yeah, thematically... We're dealing with a lot of people that are losing their fathers specifically or just losing ones they love and that influencing their ability to be rational, influencing their decision about these accords. That's what surprised me with Black Panther here is he feels very central to this story. Like when his father dies and Bucky is set up for the murder, like that's a central theme here is this Black Panther going for vengeance against Bucky. And like you said, Stuart, father's dying. We see that with Cap dealing 
with Bucky. We're seeing it with Black Panther and Bucky. I, I was surprised that Black Panther was so central to this story. Yeah, I feared that it was going to be like Ultron, a lot of cramming in with, oh, we'll tell you later kind of vibes to these new Mm -hmm. characters. But uh, I really don't feel that way. I feel that everyone, again, gets a good moment. And while it is not Black Panther's movie, he's going to get his movie and I look forward to it. And I just wasn't sure how to feel about Black Panther I don't really like him in the comics too much. I've read several of his comics. Here, though, as played by Chadwick Boseman, an actor who I don't really know, even though I've seen a couple of things he's done. But first of all, his accent, a million times better than Will Smith. Tell the truth! And (laughs) was that concussion? Yes, that is concussion. Tell the truth! (laughs) Okay, I wasn't sure what that was. All right. (laughs) I'm not sure what that accent is either, Will. (laughs) But I like his voice. I like his attitude. I like his stateliness. Instantly, I like T'Challa more in this movie than I've ever liked him in any comic I've ever touched. And that's just before he suits up. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot of time on screen, and he has even less time to show us his face. But yeah, I like Chadwick, and I think that he's winning here. We feel for him, and we feel for everyone that has a loss in this movie. And we understand that he is going to cut down Winter Soldier, because Winter Soldier appears to be the one that set the bomb. Although I think we also know pretty much right away that it's really Zemo, who is a character that has been teased. I don't think that we quite know what he is, but we suspect he is the real villain of this movie. I suspect he is going to get zapped with gamma rays or put on an amazing suit and become a fantastical creation. (laughs) A purple mask. (laughs) Yeah, he wears like a purple hood like Cobra Commander wore a blue hood at one point. Like, there's two Zemos. One's a Nazi scientist and one is the son of the Nazi scientist. What they do is, I don't know why they call him Zemo here. He does nothing to represent like a, a, that's why you would need to take a known name for comic book fans. No, I think it's to fool you. I think they want you to think that he is Hydra or, you know, he has his introductory scene is in Cleveland where he takes down Karpov, the the guy that has worked in the Siberian base and water tortures him to try and get an answer. We won't really understand until much later that had this been successful, there would have been no need for a bomb. There would have been no need to bring Winter Soldier out of hiding to implicate him in mass killings. That basically all this guy needs to know is where the Siberian base is, but he's willing to do whatever it takes, like many people in this movie, even if it means killing, to get what he needs, to get that vengeance. And the plot is similar to Baron Helmut Zemo from the comic, because in the comic book, the purple-helmeted Zemo is after Captain America for the death of his Nazi father. He's trying to avenge the death of his family. Here, we have another Zemo who is trying to avenge the death of his family, and he holds Captain America responsible for it. It's, you know, about as true to as Arnim Zola was. The Russos are going to take general character swaths and make them far more realistic and not put them in purple hoods with yellow fringe. Yeah, probably for the best. And, you know, he did just kill a bunch of people. The blood of the king is on his hands, but I do feel like they pull a few punches here. Like when he has that guy hung upside down in a sink, he doesn't drown. Like he leaves him with his mouth way above the fill line, so... That water's rushing into his nostrils, though. Yeah, he still chokes to death. We watch him choke. 
the one thing that gets me when he's choking that Hydra guy is he went there because that is the book we saw in the pre-credit sequence. It's the book full of the Winter Soldier codes, the activations. But he actually asks the Hydra guy, tell me about this mission in December 1991. Because if you don't, I'm going to have to use this book and bloodier methods. He did not want to bomb the UN. If he had gotten the information he needed from this Hydra agent, then I don't know exactly what the plot would have been to bring the Avengers to that point. But he does not relish killing innocents, he, but he's going to do it if it means stopping the Avengers. Yeah, it would have been something equally as convoluted as this plot is to get them to fight each other. I don't know. I feel like he would have set up Bucky. I, I feel like that is a key, is setting up Bucky and causing that rift because he used to be on one side and now he's on the other, but no one's sure if they could trust him. I mean, he did just run off at the end of Winter Soldier. Like, they weren't, he wasn't like best buds with Captain America after that. He, he's still not associated with them. He, he's gone missing. Bucky is guilty of many things, but he didn't kill the king. He didn't cause this bombing. And that is why specifically German forces and, and Black Panther and everyone is out to get him right now. Now, I don't quite get, I feel like there's a couple things that probably got cut here in Bucharest. I don't really get why Cap finds him first in this apartment. Well, Agent 13, Sharon Carter, gave him a file. She said, we have all this information. The whole reason he was framed is they had this kind of pudgy doctor put on a wig and a cap to look like him was because Zemo doesn't know where Winter Soldier is. And I think that it, the Hydra agent might have been able to tell him. He found out a lot of this. I mean, this ties back to what Black Widow did at the end of the last movie because of the Hydra files spilled out on the internet. So he can't find Bucky, so he does this bombing. I mean, he has no idea there's a Black Panther there who's going to be pissed off about it. All he knows is if he does this and frames Bucky then the world intelligence is going to go to find him. No, I get that. But are we supposed to believe because some newspaper stand guy sees him that that's how Captain America gets to his apartment first? No, Cap was already there by the time the newspaper guy's there. Sharon Carter gives him the intel that they found because of this and says, here's the solid lead. So they had intel that said exactly what his apartment was, but they didn't act on it? They were starting to act on it. It's just Cap could move faster than mobilizing the German army. And he only got there like five minutes earlier. Yeah, we just need to get to where it is. And it's pretty clear in their few seconds together that while he doesn't remember Steve, he's Steve from the museum exhibit. He's not Steve, my friend from World War II. Who knows his mom's name? It's pretty clear that Bucky is not Winter Soldier. He is not a killer. We believe him when he wants to leave here and he's not killing the soldiers, you know, he's making a point of all these people raiding his apartment, not killing them as he's getting away. Cap says you're going to kill someone. And then Bucky throws him down and does that punch that you think's going to be to his head, but he's pulling up a escape backpack. He goes, I'm not going to kill anyone. Bucky has no desire to be a killer anymore. But they do punch people really hard. Like I do feel like when he throws a cinder block at someone's chest, it might've done some damage there but this feels like the kind of action that i really liked in the winter soldier thanks i guess to the russos i do have to ask though i don't remember a lot of shaky cam in winter soldier there was there was quite a bit okay i feel like there's a lot of shaky cam here and i'm like i'm not getting to see scarlett johansson like scissor some dude's head as clearly as i want to see it but (laughs) scar joe i think was on set for two days and her stunt double did all the work you never see her face in any of these action scenes but there's a lot of shaky 
shaky cam. It gave me a real headache during the IMAX 3D showing. I didn't mind it in the 2D. Yeah, I really noticed it in this film. Yeah, I would go so far as to say that they seem to be, uh, yes, compensating for actors that weren't available long enough to really learn to fight choreography. That's what it felt like to me. It's like, we have to rely on stunt doubles, and thus we can't show you what the actors can do because they're not doing it. I think it was worst for the women because they were both hand-to-hand combatants. Everybody else has a suit, you know? Everybody else can be CGI'd, but they had to have stunt doubles with wigs. But here, this is where I start to wonder, is Cap going too far for his Bucky? Because you're right, Jacob, they beat the crap out of some people. And it's like when Arnold in Terminator 2 is shooting people in the kneecaps and saying, he'll live. You know, they are really maiming people. And it's badass. I love this fight when Winter Soldier grabs a battering ram and starts hitting people with it. The only good moment of 3D in this movie for me was when he's jumping down that staircase. It really had a good sense of depth. It's a great fight, but... Cap is outside the law and beating the shit out of soldiers just trying to do their jobs. And he's beating up Germans. Maybe he's used to it. But (laughs) it does feel like maybe him being an outlaw is going too far. I do feel like it is set in Berlin just for that very reason. If this were in America and he was beating up Americans, I think that that would be... Much more controversial, but yes, I, I believe, unfortunately for the Germans, they, they still can be, yeah, linked in a way that we're more comfortable with special ops team from Germany being beaten up by Captain America. And, and as much as I like some of this action, I don't know, some of it just goes on a little too long for me. This is a long film, and, like, you're going to get this whole chase, Black Panther's going to show up. Like, we don't find out what his powers are. Like, I did have to go brush up on, like, does he have powers or just a really cool suit? He does, I, I guess, have some voodoo magic that goes on that gives him super strength. Oh, really? Well, in the comic, at least. I don't know what they'll do in his solo movie. Okay. Yeah, the, the powers here are a little bit messed up. He's running as fast as a motorcycle in this film. They all are, though. All three of them. I mean, yeah, that, here's the thing. I feel like this film, like, I know they're superheroes. I feel like the stakes are very low because no one gets banged up as much as I feel they should from the violence that's going on. Uh, this is the first superhero movie where they show me people with contusions, bruises, and damage. So, yeah, but uh, they should be dead, most of them, from what happens. Like, the fact that they just have a cut on their lip. But they're all super soldiers in this case, you know? And this is something that I feel the movies, they're just saying, okay, Cap is a superhero. In the comics, he's not supposed to be that super. He's supposed to be the best human you can have. He can compete with any Olympian in any area. He can run with any of them. But he, no person on this planet could hold down a chopper with his bare arms, and nobody can race cars like these two. I don't know. Those arms, we said, were impressive, and they're amazing. Yeah, but, I mean, even Arnold during his pumping iron days couldn't hold the <laughs> chopper. But I love it, though, because, I mean, Winter Soldier runs faster than a car and literally runs over a car. Have you ever had that fantasy in gridlock that you could just drive over the car in front of you? Every morning. Yes! <laughs> he runs over that car, and it's badass. He gets the single best moment of the entire movie when he steals that motorcycle. That's just, like, awesome. Yeah, I do I do love that image, whatever CGI, however they did that, where he grabs the motorcycle and flips it around and jumps on it. That, that was a great scene. Mm-hmm. And then he catches Black Panther by the throat. <laughs> he is badass! 
Oh, I'm just getting so into this movie. I'm getting into the reliving of this movie. This is like my fourth watching talking it with you guys. And I'm just like adrenalized. I love this scene so much, even though I kept thinking in my back of my mind, Audi commercial, Audi commercial, because the scene is an Audi <laughs> yes. commercial and every car in the scene is an Audi. Maybe that's the way it is in Berlin. But yeah, <laughs> it, it is a good fight. And I, I feel like the action is different than Winter Soldier. I, the one thing about Winter Soldier was that was a 70s conspiracy thriller. You know, to me, it was like you worried about them getting Cap. There was always tension about will they catch Cap. This feels more like a drama. Like Cap willingly surrenders here to War Machine and they put him in a, quote, office. You know, they're not going to call it a jail cell, but they're going to move him to a place. And there's just a lot less tension about what's going on here and a lot more pathos about what is the correct course to be. So I feel like when the action comes, it's in short, adrenalizing bursts. But I also feel like there are long, long segments in this movie where there aren't action. And I feel like it's just a different pace than Winter Soldier. Yeah, we are now just about to hit the stretch where I feel the pacing goes awry, but there's so much action to get in. There's almost 20 characters here that have to have fights and so they're going to have them and they are for the most part in the beginning they're all going to be staccato they're going to be quick bursts this is a pretty major chase sequence and it's really cool and it introduces us to black panther and man he has some moves i love him in this but it's going to be short and i guess roadie gets one more war machine story because he's the one who arrests them all yeah and this is a an important moment because it you actually once they get him back to the office and back to Tony I get a real sense that Steve is ready to sign that you know he's like oh the document can be modified and yes I agree with you we're just going to play along here and I really feel if Zemo didn't engage this plot with the e-bomb and knocking out the power and turning Winter Soldier here in captivity I really get a sense that there wouldn't be a rest of this movie, that Mm -mm. in many cases there would be moments where people were ready to commit and work together, and it's undermined by someone else's vengeance. I I don't think so. I think Cap was ready to sign, and Tony Stark stuck his foot in his mouth when he revealed that he had Wanda under house arrest. And that's when it hit home for Cap. Again, if you put other people in charge and tell you what you can and can't do— He calls it an internment camp, and Tony calls it a day spa. As soon as that happens, Cap sets down that pen, says, I don't want to break up the set, walks out. There was no signing after that. That's my reading anyway. Yeah, maybe. I mean, but we'll never know because Zemo has killed the real interrogator and is interrogating Bucky. I thought that Martin Freeman, who's here inexplicably, I had no idea he was in this movie, was supposed to be the interrogator. But I guess they're saving him for something better? His character, Everett Ross, not to be confused with General Ross, he he's a Black Panther character, so oh. he, maybe he'll be coming back then. Okay. Yeah, he's just introduced here. It is confusing that there are two Rosses, and so all of these players are here in Berlin when, yeah, Winter Soldier goes Manchurian Candidate, something that I'm positive Robert Downey just ad-libbed, but is such a perfect line. Yeah, if this is an Audi commercial, it's also a FedEx commercial. We have an extended scene with a mysterious device being dropped off at the power grid. It's a little improbable that a facility this high-tech wouldn't have its own power grid or backup generators. That's what I was thinking. They had emergency lights. 
But hey, whatever. You go with the contrivance that gets the story going, and it's really important to, again, get Bucky to be Winter Soldier and to fight more people. And he has some really brutal ones here, even with Sharon. Yeah, I mean, there, there's the one they showed in the trailer where he actually shoots at Tony Stark, but Tony has that, just a single Iron Man glove on that blocks it. But when he fights Black Widow and Sharon, man, those, he's throwing them through tables. It is brutal. Yeah, they're not pulling punches. That's to kill. I definitely feel that. When Winter Soldier is engaged, that's the one thing I'll say about the two characters that are pitted against each other, which is that I think of Winter Soldier and Black Panther being specifically nemesis of each other. They're in it for whatever it takes. I believe, unlike the other ones, that they will go for the throat. They will kill who they need to to get the vengeance they need. And so they're, in many ways, when they're fighting, they're more fearsome. But Winter Soldier, I think, would only do it when he's activated like this. Later in the movie, I think he'd pull his punches... Well, he's not Winter Soldier when he's not activated. I don't think Bucky would do this. True. But Winter Soldier would always do this. There's a moment between them I didn't understand. Did you guys get there's like a vibranium like wobble when he grabs his arm at one point? Yeah, I just thought it was Black Panther surprised that he was being overpowered by Bucky's metal arm. That's that's how I read that scene. Okay. And Tony, I like that, you know, he's not, he's playing ball. He didn't bring a suit, but he did bring the watch and he gets a couple punches in. I love his tech in this movie. He has like the Uber Google Glass glasses. That is a HUD there where he can interface with his new AI Friday. And that watch, that watch, I thought it was like a super Apple watch because it had like a bigger screen and could project holograms. And yeah, it's also a transformer where if you flips it a couple different ways, it becomes a... Iron Man gauntlet, and I love the look on Robert Downey Jr.'s face when he disarms Winter Soldier's gun. He, like, takes it apart. He gets this, like, smile, like, ha, I beat the Winter Soldier, and then Bucky just punches the crap out of him. Yeah. And, yeah, everybody's getting in on this. Yeah, we have the roof exchange you guys mentioned before, and... and That helicopter scene was really... I love the way Bucky tries to kill Steve there, and Steve... He gets the turnaround, right? Because at the end of Winter Soldier, Bucky saved him from drowning. Here, Steve pulls Bucky from the water. It leads into that scene, I think that was at the end of Ant-Man, where basically Bucky is put under a vice and interrogated, Mm -hmm. and we know what he told Zemo, which is basically he is not the only Winter Soldier. Do you just have to get Bucky wet to deactivate him? (laughs) That's what it seems like. Just toss him in some water and no more Winter Soldier. This is where the team start to build, though. I mean, this is where it it started at the end of Ant-Man with Falcon going, I know a guy. And now is the only time I feel the pacing of this movie gets a little bit off because, yeah, we're going to have to start bringing the team together and we leave our main plot to start introducing a host of sub characters. There was a longer scene that was cut out with getting Scott Lang Ant-Man. Like they go to San Francisco and get him. They cut it out. He just shows up in a van. I feel like they should have done that with Spider-Man. Like, I don't know. I, I guess you got Marissa Tomei, so why not do a scene with her? Yeah. Aunt Hottie. Come on, dude. They want uh, as much Spider-Man as they can cram into this movie. This is the big deal. Sony probably made him do this to hype him up. Yeah. It's not Sony. People. Fans. This is huge that Spider-Man has come home to Marvel. And people want to see as much as they can of the new guy. 
I think split the difference. I do feel like this was something the Russos would have liked to include because it's good for the film. I also feel that it's really an awkward inclusion here that Tony does go to Queens, meets Marissa Tomei. God damn, what, Marissa, what are you doing? Because of this movie, we've got Scarlett Johansson, Emily Van Camp, Elizabeth Olsen, and the woman who's like bewitching me on the screen is Aunt May? <laughs> Uh, you and Tony. <laughs> and they had a movie together previously, too. <laughs> Marissa Tomei. Oh, God. Yeah, only you. Jesus, yeah. don't make me remember that. <laughs> but You'll watch The Wrestler if you haven't seen that, <laughs> if you want some Marissa Tomei. Oh, she's looking good. I mean, I saw a meme that couldn't express my feelings better. Am I getting older or is Aunt May getting hotter? <laughs> she's definitely getting hotter um but i also feel like yeah that this is again age appropriate robert downey jr kind of relationship and yeah i think robert hires his friends james spader and mickey rourke i feel like yeah this makes sense that she would get the role even though my idea of aunt may is much much grayer <laughs> Yeah, I go back to the uh, Tobey Maguire Aunt May as my vision of Aunt May. But we got to talk about Tom Holland, Spider-Man. I don't know this kid at all. 20 years old. I'm going to call him kid. He's playing the youngest Spider-Man. Wow, he's 20? Yeah. And you feel that. Oh, I, I thought this actor was actually like 15. Yeah, no, you feel his youth. That seems to be what they really targeted is that they want him to feel like the youngest Spider-Man we've ever seen. And I like that. I like that they're going young. That They always want Spider-Man to grow up so fast, get to college, marry, marry Jane. Uh, yeah, let him be a high school student. I hope that's where those Sony pictures go. They're going to. They're going to keep him in high school for as long as Tom Holland can pull it off. The Joe Casada, CEO of Marvel, said the biggest mistake Stanley ever made was allowing Peter Parker to graduate high school. Yeah. So, <laughs> which why Peter made a deal with the devil to break up his marriage. Yes, thank you, Joe Q. But Tom Holland, I thought Tobey Maguire was an awesome Peter Parker and not so great a Spider-Man. He was good physically. I never liked his voice and lines there. Andrew Garfield, I thought was a good Spider-Man, but I really never liked his modern era hipster Peter Parker. Too quirky. Yeah. Tom Holland's the first actor ever who I think gets both sides right. I like him. I really like him. I agree. Like, I liked him all around. Like, later when he's fighting, I love all the Spider-Man quips that Spider-Man's known for doing. I hope... I don't know if they got the Sony writers to write his lines, or I hope they borrow whoever wrote his lines here. Like, it's going to feel like a wide gap if if we don't get the same performance in, in that Spider-Man movie, because this really cemented him. Like, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to another Spider-Man reboot at this point. Well, it's not a reboot. You know, he's been Spider-Man for six months. We don't have to have the spider bite. We don't have to replay all the things we've seen again and again. There will be flashbacks. Yeah, they'll just handle it and have handled it here in a very cursory wink wink we know you know let's just move on with it couple youtube videos out pops the costume a uh, little bit of webbing in a vial and and that's all they really need to do i really feel like they could just pick up from here and we don't have to have any origin next year it would be preferable frankly but but enjoyable what we have here and I do like we have a reason for this poor kid to have like a super cool suit. Like this is Tony's doing. We see what the Spider-Man suit is like before when Peter Parker's in charge of it. But no, the one we're going to see in the big fight is because Tony Stark gives it to him. He, he gets it made for him. 
This is Shades of Civil War. Tony Stark did upgrade Peter Parker's suit in the comics. Yeah, he gave him a full Iron Man suit, though, that was shaped like a spider. What I found interesting, though, is he asks Peter, why are you doing these things? And man, ever since Sam Raimi, they're trying to not say with great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) So he says, when you can do the things and you don't and bad things happen, they happen because of you. And... That's alluding, I'm sure, to Uncle Ben, but it really sounds to me like that's Cap's argument here, isn't it? Like, you have to do the right thing. Yes! Thank you, Artie! I thought Spider-Man was going to switch sides, because I'm like, that sounds like what Captain America wants to do, not Tony Stark. He wants the UN to tell him what to do. Well, Spider-Man's not fighting on principle here. He's starstruck. This super cool guy just showed up and is funding his endeavor to be a superhero. And so, yeah, he's just willing to do whatever for Tony. But Tony, Robert Downey Jr., really has a nice moment where he processes that. And you can see that slowly but surely over the course of this, he is coming around to Cap's side. And were the situation not what it was when we get to Siberia again it's another situation where I feel like yes they are ready to agree and this war can be called off a ceasefire will happen and I believe Spider-Man is a part of that in this moment by telling him these things come on they can't have a ceasefire before the big battle though oh boy yeah they get everyone together Paul Rudd I didn't really care for him all that much as the star of Ant-Man. He works so well as the comic relief here, though. What time zone is this? He works for as well for Cap's team as Spider-Man does for Iron Man's team when it comes to comedy relief. Yeah, I mean, let's face it. Let's do the breakdown. They did the math. They found counterparts on both sides. There's Cap versus Iron Man, and then they have their black friends, Falcon (laughs) versus War Machine. The comic relief bug guys are, yes, Ant-Man versus Spider-Man. You got the magical characters, Wanda versus Vision. You got the human characters, Hawkeye versus Widow. And then you have those anomalies, those ones that are not Avengers. Winter Soldier versus Black Panther. They're the ones, again, that I feel that could do the most danger because they have no loyalties here. They don't want to play nice. They don't want to pull punches. I agree. I've looked at it. I mean, they're like pretty equally divided on gender lines, on racial lines. They just found ways to make teams. You know, I imagine like it's grade school gym class. All right, Iron Man, pick. Cap, pick. And they did end up with equal bases. And we did see Vision can be hurt. Hawkeye has arrows. The introduction of Hawkeye in this film is breaking Wanda out. He's been claiming he's retired. He's literally on the farm. But Cap calls him, and he goes toe-to-toe with Vision and gets a couple hits in with his electric arrows. Yeah, but it's it's mostly Scarlet Witch here that takes Vision out. And, you know, it's wise. They did it in the Civil War series. There's no Thor or Hulk. They were written out, though there is a a clone Thor that shows up for one issue that was really silly. But they you got to write out those big sluggers. But I feel like Vision is still, like, way high up there. Like, he's got that magic rock in his forehead. He's got a lot of powers. But Scarlet Witch is able to take him out. I feel like when we get to the big battle in, in, at the airport, I don't know where Vision goes. He seems to conveniently disappear for most of it. But it's nice to see that he can be tamed by a magic user, at least. I had no idea Hawkeye was in this. This was a big surprise to me. I mean, when we have that moment at the Avengers complex where things are blowing up outside. I had no idea that that was going to be the handiwork of Jeremy Renner. I didn't. I just didn't know that he had signed on for this, and I just assumed he wasn't. I remember seeing him in the trailer. Yeah, they showed that shot where 
Ant-Man's holding on to one of his arrows. But yeah, I forgot that he was going to be in this film because he's Hawkeye. And I'm super hyped. I've been watching the press tour. Everybody except ScarJo has been on the talk shows. So I knew he was in it. I was, but by the time he shows up, I'd forgotten he was going to be in it. He just was gone for so long. But when they get to the airport and Cap says suit up, this is the trailer scene. And this, I'm going to just ask ahead of time, is this not the best superhero fight in cinematic history uh you know it might be the most fun i feel like there's low stakes here because i do feel a lot of these people are friends they might be messing around but this feels like them working out at the gym i feel like they're sparring partners i don't feel like a lot of this again they're all fans you know ant-man comes out babbling about how much he loves cap and spider-man loves cap and they're all buddies here so it is playful i think that it is a really fun civil war i really (laughs) think it's fun to watch in a way that yeah these guys aren't going to hurt each other they're not going to kill each other they're just going to kind of prove Who's tougher? And I mean, you see that. You see Clint saying to Widow, are we still friends? You know, and and not going for the jugular. I do agree. This is the most fun. Like, this is the highlight of the film for me. I do feel like so much of this plot is convoluted, but I don't mind when we get up to this point. Like, it is a fun fight scene as far as, like, choreography goes or anything. I, I don't know. But bringing all these people together with different powers and, and highlighting them, yeah, it gels together. It works together. When you got Spider-Man, you know, doing all his stuff in, inside the airport. And, Everybody's got a gimmick. Yes. And and I love what Ant-Man does. He, he finally lives up to at least the comic book version. He he goes giant here. He's got to oh. cause a distraction so Cap and Bucky could get to that airplane. And so, yeah, he goes big. But all the scenes here, there's so much going on. I can't wait to get the Blu-ray of this. Because you've got Hawkeye shooting Black Panther, you've got Giant Man smacking people around, everybody's getting hits in on everybody, and yes, the one thing that I'm glad is that they're not going for lethal stakes, because here's the hardest thing to sell me on, is the movie to convince me that Iron Man would want Captain America killed. He even says to General Ross, you'd kill Captain America, and he's like, if provoked, yes, and Tony is not ready to go there. He'll punch him in his perfect teeth, but he wants him on the team. Yeah, they're not going to go for lethal stakes. So yes, punches are pulled, but yet Scarlet Witch is just kicking ass. I do think she or Vision are the single most powerful people on the team. She's throwing cars on top of Iron Man. She's picking up Black (laughs) Panther and throwing him through a jet bridge. I mean, Ant-Man does accidentally throw a tanker full of gasoline that he thought was water at (laughs) some point. That was awesome! (laughs) I do feel like this is Ant-Man's biggest moment in either his solo film or in this one. Literally. When he goes big, I feel like I like him the best. I'm still a little unconvinced. I'll be honest. If there's one character I'm a little bit like, eh, still, it's him. Stuart, I don't know if I want a sequel. I know we're getting one, but I wouldn't mind seeing him in more Avenger movies. Like, I do like what Paul Rudd does here as a... Again, comedically, and and I do like how this just does feel like a big comic book fight that I would read in the comics, like when Ant-Man turns into Giant Man and, like, grabs War Machine by the feet so he can't fly away, and I do love, like, Spider-Man when he starts talking about Empire Strikes Back and, like, how they're going to take him down. Oh, that hurt. You guys know that really old movie? (laughs) But you know what? You know what I love? And, I mean, Spider-Man has so many good lines, but when Ant-Man turns into Giant Man and Spider-Man just goes, holy shit! That sells it for me. Like, he just could Nobody expected that. And Spider-Man verbalizes it. It's just, 
they didn't use their one F-bomb here, but that would have been the place for Spider-Man to do it. It's just good. <laughs> I don't think we're going to get an F-bomb in one of these. It's also worth pointing out, this is the first time we're seeing Tony in an Iron Man suit. That he's been waiting this entire movie to put that thing back on. He blew up those suits, and it just what I we weren't sure that, you know, he was going to put it on, but he is... Well, he had one in Age of Ultron. Yeah, let's forget that movie. <laughs> Good, <laughs> but I, you know what I mean. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, this was, like, him committing by showing up here in this suit. I think, you know, why this scene is so fun is, yes, it's well-directed, it's well-staged, and everyone gets a great moment. But I also think this movie is very self-serious. And we've had all this hand-wringing about, should superheroes be superheroes? That's not a controversy for the audience, right? We want them to do this. So the fact that we get this battle and that we don't have to feel guilt, there's no civilians around, we don't have to worry about casualties. Iron Man has cleared out this airport. We are allowed to consider this a wrestling arena. This is Battle Royale happening right here. And we are, it's permission to have it be full on fun. And I think Marvel even realized that as a comic book company is that people want to watch the heroes fight because that's when you have an argument, it's not about who who's going to win in a fight versus Captain America and Red Skull. We all know the winner. It's who's going to fight, you know, Captain America or Iron Man or Superman. You know, you that's the conversation comic book geeks have. And, and I think Marvel has realized that. And that's why they did books like Avengers versus X-Men, because you want to see the good guys fight it out. It, it's just there's something about geekdom where you want to see who's the most powerful hero. But there's something else going on here. When you have Captain America versus the Red Skull, it's really simple. It's very easy. But when you have Batman versus Superman, or you have Iron Man versus Captain America, you get conflict. You see friends fighting friends. And if you're a fan, you don't know whose side to take. I walked in Team Iron Man. I walked out Team I don't know. They both have good points. And I think that adds something. Yeah, but we did get this in Avengers. I mean, when there was that whole Cap, Thor, Iron Man battle. I mean, we've been allowed to have these kind of fun moments. This is just on a grander scale. It's, again, it's a it's a battle royale. It's a free-for-all. It's 20 people instead of three. Oh, it's so good. I mean, and, and no, it's not the best superhero fight of all time in terms of drama, in terms of... Stakes. Yeah. Yeah, I can't agree that it's the most exciting in that way. And I think I'm the guy that tends to like... I get most invested in battles that have stakes. And this one is just kind of like, oh, fun. We get to see what everyone can do. You know, when Clint is like, oh, I haven't met you before to Black Panther and all of that. And Panther, again, he's scary because he leaves claw marks in that shield. I mean, he really does fight to kill. And the other ones, less so. And that's, I think, why Black Widow changes sides. She is the one who realizes Giant Man was a diversion. She goes to the Quinjet and she could stop Cap and Bucky. She chooses to stop T'Challa instead. Yeah, I like that turn. She had a really nice moment there because I really did think that she was like, she was like, I'm going to regret this. I'm like, oh, no, I don't want you to fight. This is the one fight I don't want to see is Steve versus you. And no, thank God. She she was like, I'm going to let you get away. I I care enough about you. I respect you enough to let you go fight your fight, even if I don't agree. Panther can wait. Yeah, and it makes her an outlaw, though. It's it's a move with stakes. Now, she is also on the run. She goes back with Tony after this, but she, I mean, it because it was T'Challa and not Giant Man or something, you know, she is now a criminal. But we have to have 
the moment, right? In the comic book, they killed Goliath. There has to be something here that ups the stakes. And I wondered how they'd do it. It was in the trailer. We saw War Machine down. Was he dead? Was he not dead? We didn't know. They're going to do it friendly fire. They're going to try to just make it so nobody's in the wrong here. But when you roughhouse, people get hurt. You know, I feel like there is a tease here. I don't know anything about Infinity Gems, but I'm assuming the fact that Vision uh, misses and never does is the fact that maybe he is losing control of his power and maybe Thanos or whoever the hell is is taking over him. I don't know what his destiny is to be, but there's something about the fact that he doesn't work right that uh, makes me feel like it's a tease for what's coming in his future. Hmm. I didn't think that. I honestly thought because he was having that touching moment with Wanda that he was just distracted because he was in love. Oh, really? Yeah, I assumed it was his relationship with Wanda. Yeah. I keep forgetting you guys. Yeah, you guys keep telling me that they have an affair and I'm just, I'm not seeing it. Even here, it just felt more friendly than sexy. But uh, I, I guess they do have a lot in common. Uh, maybe that will feel more natural down the road. But man, I did not want to see Don Cheadle die. I was upset. I was upset when he went down because I thought for sure he was dead. And I was like, no, this has just killed all of the fun of that scene. I also don't know if he really missed. I mean, he shot at Falcon and it was deliberate. Shoot his engine. Make him glide. Don't kill Falcon. Kill his engine. But Falcon has always had this kick-ass move where he just retracts his wings and he becomes a diver. And he dove and the beam went past where he would have been and hits War Machine in the chest. And they really play this well. I mean, he is a pilot. He was Lieutenant Colonel James Rhodes in the U.S. Air Force. He's like, I'm flying dead stick. And we get to see inside his dead helmet as he flies. And both Iron Man and Falcon try to get there. Nobody can. And boom. Yeah, it's some, It's the way he just falls straight down. I mean, it got a reaction of my dad. He, like, groaned when you hear that thud. Ugh. I didn't think there was any way to live through this. I mean, there isn't any way. I'm just going to point out, he should be dead, but I'm not sure why he lives, but thank God he does. Iron Man has taken some serious falls, too, in that armor. Supposedly, we just got to say the armor, even if it has no power, has a way of shielding some of this, but... I did try to wonder, you know, we always sit there and go, well, why didn't this happen? Why didn't Superman use his x-ray vision to find Martha? Well, I'm trying to think, who could have stopped this? Giant Man was down, so he couldn't have caught War Machine. I think Wanda was probably too far down to use telekinesis. She was awake, but she was lying on the ground. Vision was cradling her. Yeah, what happened to her to make her out of it? Uh, maybe she got shot by Spider-Man. It was a melee. I've seen it three times, and I can't quite tell you exactly everyone who got hit by everyone. Okay, but... yeah. I, I was surprised <laughs> she was so crippled at that moment. Yeah, they had to cripple her because she could have stopped this. And Spider-Man could have stopped this, but he was down too. Yeah, th this seems like, was it right next to the tarmac though? It seemed like th they were a distance off. Very much so. It couldn't have been that far. I mean, Vision was still on the tarmac when he took the shot. And so I figured they weren't too far away. But man, when War Machine takes the hit and to see... Tony Stark undo his mask and holding War Machine, cradling him in his arms. And Falcon comes down. You know, it's all fun and games till somebody gets their chest shot open. So Falcon's trying to get there too. And man, I didn't see this coming. And Tony just raises that glove and boom, Falcon goes down. It reminded me of the shot in Looper when Joseph Gordon-Levitt is just so casually killing people and... 
man, just the framing and the way the body gets knocked back. I wouldn't have been surprised if Falcon was the one dead at that moment, but no, he's just stunned. But both he and Rhodey are going to live. Rhodey taken to the hospital, getting a CAT scan, just has a broken back. Thank God that we're going to find out he is alive and he might not ever fly again. He may not be War Machine again. I'm okay with that as long as he is alive. It would have changed the tone of this movie too much if this was the reason. If this was the death that pitted Tony against Cap, then I would have really had a problem with it. Honestly, it would have torn me up. So I'm just happy. I'd rather have Tony's parents be killed by Winter Soldier than have (laughs) it go down this way. It makes you wonder, though, is Tony going to arrest Vision? But Vision made a mistake. He still signed the Accords. He was acting in a sanctioned way. Yeah, but, I mean, Tony is going to react basically on a blood feud. You killed my mom, so that's why I'm going to kill you. I don't care about rationale. The same rationale could be applied to Vision here. I did wonder exactly how that would go. and Vision can disappear, and I think he probably <laughs> does. He's like, I'm out. Everybody disappears here, you know? Shortly after this, we'll have the last scene Black Widow, never see her again. All the people on Team Cap, except for Bucky and Cap, get arrested. And you ask, why isn't this an Avengers movie? This is why. Because everybody's going to check out for the climax, even though I feel this kind of was the climax. It's the fun climax. That Then there's the serious one. I mean, they yeah. really have not had... The war yet. They have not had the break. This was the war, I mean. No, 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 I disagree. This was playtime. The war comes in Siberia. And it should be said that Zemo has found out that that is where the base is, where Winter Soldier got trained. He has all of the answers. We've had a lot of, like, mysterious moments with him having the dead body in the tub and him getting on the airplane and listening to the wife messages. Again, did you think he was going to turn into a superhero? Yeah, I I was actually kind of upset because I'm like, oh, so he's going to activate these five super soldiers and that's going to be the real climax of this. Mm -hmm. Why the hell do they put all this Civil War stuff in here? This is all filler. I don't need this to be like I was really upset. I don't know if I'm any happier with Zemo's motivation by the end of this, but I am glad that that was not the climax because then I would have been upset with all the filler in this movie. I think it works. I agree. I thought it was going to go that way. I thought Zemo was going to be a more conventional villain. I'm so glad it doesn't, but they did set it up that way. Like with Winter Soldier saying, I'm not the only Winter Soldier. We have this flashback to this high Hydra death squad that became all super soldiers. It's a great red herring because they spent so much time building it up. They even had scenes with them. Yeah. To me, it totally works. That Zemo doesn't work in the way that a baddie works, but I'm glad there's no Chitari here. I'm glad that we don't have, yeah, five super winter soldiers to fight and that's what's going to bring Cap and Iron Man back together. No, I think it's much more in keeping with the themes of this movie that Zemo was going there to kill them to ensure there would be no more winter soldiers, first and foremost, and then also hoping that it would lead these two in a trap. I think his rationale is wrong. He has some BS about how Once you enter a civil war, then there's no coming back from that. America is proof that you can come back from a civil war. I mean, that's that's not true. Okay. Yeah, I I think there's still psychological damage there, but okay. The rift is still here. It's been, what, well over 100 years. and I'm not saying there wasn't consequences, but we are still a country. I mean, that's... Yeah, okay, if you're saying we could be a country, yes. What he's implying here is that 
there will be no more Avengers, that, that an Avengers is impossible at this point. I don't think it is. And I think that, that again, this, his rationale is wrong. That's why he's Sokovian. He's, you know, he's not American. He does not know that countries can survive civil war. Yeah, I guess in Eastern Europe, it, it is a different story when it comes to civil war. But I do feel like I, we're not going to get a resolution to that question in this film I, I do feel like okay maybe cap and iron man could bromance it up again but when you see especially scarlet witch in that underwater prison and they got her back in that straitjacket, like it reminded me of how we saw her in age of ultron where she was treated as this crazy woman and she is strapped there in the cell and you got Ant-Man and the other heroes strapped in there, can they get over that? Like, they're the ones serving time, not Captain America. They they may hold a grudge. Yeah, I think that's the trigger for her is that, yeah, she has been in captivity as long as she's been a superhero. So she's going to resent anyone that does that to her. It really, it, the raft, they brought that in from the comics as well, the underwater prison. And I do really like this scene. It is the last scene for most of the characters here when... I mean, Hawkeye really gives Tony Stark a lot of guff, you know, for doing this. It's it's a hard scene. I think Falcon, I mean, Tony's had a change of heart at this point. He's realized that he was wrong. He realizes that the Zemo is out there and he is masterminding everything because that body was found. Zemo wants him to know. That was the first time I watched this. I'm like, that makes no sense. Why would he do this? And Yeah, yeah I had to think about that because <laughs> the way that body is posed in the tub, I'm like, come on, that's so obvious. Like, And then I realized, oh, okay, Zemo wanted all this family. Uh-huh. Yeah, I thought that was going to be the only plot hole I could find, and it's actually all intentional. So... I think Falcon, maybe it's because he tried to save Rhodey too. And he's asking when Tony shows up, he's the only one to not just be mean. He just says, how's Rhodey? Maybe that's why he gives the information so quickly, but he does turn over Cap's location really fast. I want to say another character that I, you know, has had questionable. I've always liked the actor, but when he put on that suit in Winter Soldier, I was a little bit like, what? And his scene with Ant-Man in the Ant-Man movie was my least favorite in that movie. But I really like Falcon here. I'm ready to say it. I think he should get his own movie. He's that good. He really is. Anthony Mackie is awesome. I, his yeah. scene was my favorite of Ant-Man because he was in it. And But be that as it may... Yeah, what I'm tr trying to say is that Anthony Mackie, I thought that you were forever uh, a silly character, and now I really do think that a Falcon movie could work and be something that would be great to watch. Strangely, I'd like to see the two army guys, Falcon and War Machine, because, you know, technology, War Machine could. But yeah, Iron Man's going to fly off to Siberia where Cap and Bucky are. They have their last moment of reminiscing about a $3 game at a carnival. I it's just there to say, hey, they're old friends again, you know, remind us. Yeah, that we haven't had enough reminder that long time ago, they really were besties. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen First Avenger, and you forget how close they were, mainly because that movie was truncated, and they didn't have much time before he fell out of the train and was evil, but or disappeared, I should say. But yeah, they needed this one little moment just to remind you why Cap is still in it. You know, Bucky keeps saying, am I worth it? I have done bad things. And it's a part of Steve's belief system that if you're not in control, if someone makes you do something, then it's not your fault. And that's, again, why he never signed the accord. It's within his character. And I thought that was good writing. 
I like that Iron Man's here to forgive and forget. He's there to join up with them. It's going to be the last time until probably Infinity War that we're going to have the three of them on the same side. Yes, but thankfully, thankfully, the villain can read minds or whatever, knows they're all going to come together here. So you could pop in a VHS tape and tell us what happened to Howard Stark and his wife. It's a little convenient. It reminded me of that really bad scene in Spectre where they did the same thing. Uh, you know, it, my only problem is in 1991, they did not have that many pole cams on light posts. Yeah, I was wondering where that was. Was that right outside the Stark home? Like, where would the security footage be? <laughs> Whatever, guys. I and mean, if it's, if it's no witnesses, shouldn't Winter Soldier have taken the camera out first? He shoots it, but yeah, he didn't get the tape, so it doesn't do hey. much good. You know, but what I, the camera wouldn't have been able to see what we see, which is that, yeah, just choking the mom. I mean, just it's merciless. It, you can understand why Tony completely loses it. You know, that emotional, you know, he's been trying to forget the guilt that was set up in his first scene where he was trying to imagine a better goodbye to them. There's no way that this can sit well with him, even though if he had had a week off, maybe he would have cooled down. But this is an, an unlevel head totally undoing what everything, again, that we thought it was going to end in a truce, and then it just goes much, much worse. Yeah, well, what's interesting is it's always seemed like Tony's had this rift with his father when he, he watched him use the barf glasses, that 3D reality he creates. It, it feels like more about him coming to terms with his father, but when he watches this video, what he says to Bucky is, you killed my mom. It is about his mother. It's still not about his dad. There, there's still that rift there. It is about his mom, who who really was innocent. I feel like he had that relationship with. Or it's just Mother's Day weekend, and and so that's why they put it there. Yeah, well, and same with Zemo, you know, it was like, I'm not doing this for Sokovia. I, you know, that country, you know, cast its lot. You feel like even though he worked for them, that wasn't it. It was the fact that his wife is dead. And, you know, that mm -hmm. was what he was holding on to, that voice message. You, it ultimately, that is the thing that really gets people to kill, you know. Patriotism is one thing, but when it's personal, that's harder to come back from. And it's so much more interesting. I feel like all these characters' emotional journeys have a realism to them. And it's such a fantastical film, I believe, where all of them are coming from. And I did question if Cap went too far with his defense of Bucky, and now I have to question, does Tony go too far in his desire for vengeance? He's going to bring about the death penalty and bring it by his hands, and legally he can do it because of the Accords. I, I don't know, does he have to go to the UN before he gives him the death penalty? He could capture him, but then... Who knows? Maybe Sweden will hold out. Ross said he was fine with them being killed. Mm. So we're to believe, I, I guess we're told this by Captain America knew Bucky killed the Starks. Mm, that, how did he know that? Yeah, exactly. When did that come out? Was it in the leak? You know, nothing really seems to have happened too much from that leak that Widow put out. We're told some important information was there. I feel like it could have been in there. I don't know. Yeah, I was wondering that. We were told earlier on when something came from that leak, but this, yeah, was he briefed by S.H.I.E.L.D. at some point? Did he find this out after the Winter Soldier reappeared? Like That's I, the scene I felt was cut, and I, I don't think they could have put it in, because this has to be a shock. I knew from the first scene, because I'd have read the fan theory and it all made sense, that Bucky killed Howard Stark, but this should be the big twist for the audience, is that, oh my god, that's who was in the car the whole time? So you can't have had a scene with Bucky going to Cap 
there's something I really need to tell you. And then we cut away and we find out that's when he told Cap he killed his dad. It doesn't make sense that Cap knew. I don't think Cap needed to know. No. Cap still would have protected Bucky and they still would have fought the way they did. I, I feel it would have been more powerful as like, you know what? That that's that's I'm sorry, Tony, but he, that wasn't him, and he's still my friend. And then you could go, but I was your friend too, whatever that line is from the trailer. So was I. But man, now this fight, and Stuart, one time, months ago, maybe a year ago, when the first trailer came out for this movie, you told me that your hardest selling point for this movie, your lack of excitement when that first trailer came out, is that the entire Marvel Universe was going to kill each other because of Bucky. Well, here it is. Cap and Iron Man are actually ready to kill each other over Bucky. Did the emotional journey carry for you? Yeah, what I, what the trailer told me was this was going to be something that came up early. That it, that we would start the movie with, we have to find Bucky to kill him or to save him, and that was the split. Uh, to know that, yes, it was this personal is in keeping. Again, I'm not endorsing that Tony kill him. I just understand why Tony would kill him. And so it makes sense. It has a, a logic to it. And it, it works as the climax. If they had tried to start this way, I think that it would have been more difficult to sustain. Yeah, I'm completely there. And it took me like the second viewing before I really realized Tony would kill Cap. You know, they have their fight. And it's, again, another well-choreographed fight. I love when they're, you know, Bucky's trying to escape and he's climbing up. And the whole, it's almost like a boss battle when they're fighting Iron Man. He's so powerful. They have to take out his repulsors one by one. And I'm surprised Winter Soldier is such a tough guy. He almost single-handedly stops Iron Man, but Mm, loses his arm. Yeah, I love that he gets his arm blown off there. Marjorie squealed. She thought he was going to die, and so she, like, had this squeal of pain. That was going to become a memorial tattoo on her arm. Yeah, and and we're told that Iron Man can get the best of Cap because of Friday, right? That Cap is so predictable that you can basically study him and then outdo him. Well, if you have a supercomputer to study him, I, yeah. Tony obviously couldn't do it, but yeah, mm. he... Friday, analyze it. He's able to come back. There is that one shot where, like, Tony's got his arms out shooting his repulsor rays. Captain America's, like, leaning forward with his shield. It's like that that classic standoff. That That is straight from one of the Civil War. It may have been one of a splash page, but I know it was one of the covers. Like, that just that's they copied that pose exactly. Oh, it's gorgeous shot, too. I mean, just... Mm. And I, you don't even have to know it's from the comic cover. It's just there's several shots here that do recreate this iconography. But wow, just this whole thing. It, it's beautiful. That's the thing with the Russos. They can do visually stunning things. The special effects are mostly so seamless that you don't even know their effects. And yet mm. you have the emotional weight. And yet there's the one scene here with Cap, Bucky, and Iron Man, the three-way fight, you know, where it's going to undermine what I just said about the effects because Iron Man looks a little cheap. But yeah, I, I feel like there is some, uh, some, some effects are better than others. I'm not going to say it's seamless. I mean, I definitely feel like there's some clunky CGI throughout the movie, but I'm not a s- effects snob. It's good enough. But it's not it's not perfect. There's still issues. Whenever Tony takes the helmet off and he's still in his Iron Man outfit, it always feels like Robert Downey Jr.'s head is floating around there. <laughs> but another... Now, Arnie, you could correct me. I, I don't quite remember. But this ends pretty similar to Civil War. Like, 
Captain America, at least in the comic, he is about to do that death kill. Take that shield and, and strike it through Tony's chest. I uh, thought he sets the shield down at the last second, but here he actually does strike him. Yeah, he was going to kill Cap. He said final warning and Cap said, you know, calling back to the first movie, I can do this all day. And then Iron Man looks like he's about to take the shot and Bucky distracts him. Cap comes in. He raises that shield up the way Robert Downey Jr. crosses his arms over his head. I think Tony Stark is pretty sure he's about to have his head chopped off. And no, Cap, always the good guy, just goes for the arc reactor. But doesn't Tony need that to live? No, that that ended at the end of Iron Man 3. Now it's just the power for a suit. Okay, see, man, I gotta watch all these every time before the next film. <laughs> I do. What's more striking to me is the fact that he leaves his shield behind. You know, so much about this has been, I am my shield. You know, Sharon had to get it from him because it was confiscated. And the fact that Tony says, my father made that and you don't deserve it. And Steve's like, okay. And just leaves that with Tony. That's what really made the impact with me. It was like, wow, he is that committed that he's willing to walk away. I am not my shield. That was impressive. Meanwhile, there is a different drama. The flip side of all of this fighting is a character who has chosen not to go this route. We have T'Challa basically coming to the conclusion that those guys are stupid and I am not going to kill Zemo for my father. I am going to not let him take the easy way out, commit suicide. I am going to take him back to captivity and I am not going to sully my identity with vengeance. I was happy to see this, actually. I realized that that might seem like a wuss out, but I actually think that it was nice to see someone learn the lesson. Yeah, no, I like this, which seems weird that it was so pivotal on Black Panther in a Captain America movie, but I do like the development. I find it weird that Black Panther, A, had a bat plane that he could just stealthily follow Iron Man there. He is a king. All right. I also find it weird that in the midst of all of this, he just stands outside and doesn't get involved. And yet he's like... Those people are tearing themselves apart with vengeance. He could have just gotten involved as a peacemaker. You know, he's pretty badass too, but he just lets them tear themselves apart, which it was Zemo's plan. He's not an adventure. Why would he be? He's not even political. I mean, it's said in his introductory scene by his father, you're not a diplomat. He's not going to get involved in these kinds of things. He was here on a personal vendetta to kill Zemo, and he is only concerned with that in this moment. But I I just like that it happens this way. To me, I I don't blame him for not getting involved with that other's dispute. It's not his concern. But I did love how they're discussing the death. Zemo's like, tell that to the dead. And he grabs that gun and stops Zemo from killing himself. The living are not through with you yet. You know, not all vengeances come in the form of murder. Yeah. And he deleted his wife's message. You know, he was going to go through it. I mean, whether Black Panther was there or not, he was done. He was mm -hmm. sure that he was right. And when he we see him in his last scene with Martin Freeman in captivity, he is still maybe sure that eventually he's planted the seeds for Avengers destruction. I, I don't see it that way, but he still has optimism. I think he did, because what is the Avengers left with? When I think through their roster, you got Vision and Iron Man, and Rhodey is kind of learning to walk because Tony's using his Iron Man technology to make prosthetics or a suit that can help paralyzed people walk, which is, a, I mean, I think that is in the future in real life. 
I think it's a good thing. It's a way to keep Rhodey in the game if they want him to fight in a new movie. But there's no Avengers left. Yeah, that's why we're getting Doctor Strange. I got that trailer before this film. We're going to get Ragnarok or whatever the next Thor movie is called. Like, they are going away from the Avengers. We got Spider-Man. Well, yeah, which I don't know how much that's going to tie into this universe. But Phase 3... It's all about watching other people until we get to Infinity War. Yeah, and that probably is the way to go, I think. But again, I think it's the way that Cap has left it. By sending that letter, courtesy of Stan Lee, a message for Tony Stank, um, (laughs) I'm sorry that I concealed the truth. I'll be there if you need me. Let's agree to disagree. To me, that was the upper hand. And I I expect no less from Captain America. And he sends him a burner phone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so, I, again, if they can't come together, it's because Tony cannot process what Winter Soldier has done. And I think he will over time. I'm sure he will. I am sure someday they will fight next to each other again, Infinity War. But I also don't think that Tony took that letter and was like, yep, okay, we're friends now. He's not ready to turn them right over. Well, he does, you know, Secretary Ross is on the phone to scream at Tony, you got to get over to the prison because Captain America has busted out all of those renegades and Tony puts him on hold. He is not going to jump at his beck and call and he is going to let Cap get away and have his renegade team. Yeah, but he was already pissed at Ross because Ross wouldn't listen about Zemo. Yeah, that was an earlier joke. He wanted to put him on hold. Yeah. But yeah, it's also, he's not going to hunt Cap. He lost. I mean, hunting Cap is a losing proposition. He has no army. You know who we're going to follow up on? You know who the next one of these guys we're going to freaking see is? And it's so silly. Freaking Ant-Man and the Wasp is going to be our next movie with one of these people in it. We'll huh. see. We, I guess we're going to find out if they're all hanging out together underground or what happened. Although, rumor has it, Tony Stark is going to show up in Spider-Man. Uh, well, that's good. That seems logical. I feel like, yeah, in some ways, this is a Captain America movie, and it has a conclusion. Winter Soldier is going to be retired. All of that angst about his friend can be put to rest. He has found his friend. He has, in some ways, redeemed his friend and given his friend an option that he can live with. Which is weird, though, that that's a mid credit scene. That That's, like, not even the resolution to the film. It, it's almost played as a teaser to show us more of Wakanda and get us hyped for that Black Panther movie. Exactly. It felt like a lead-in to Black Panther, not an end of this movie. But I found it convenient that Bucky's like, all right, we did all of this, and now I just want to sleep again because I can't be trusted. Let's not use this hippocampus barf machine to purge my brain or something. Let's just freeze me. Would you trust Tony to go into your head? I don't know if I were (laughs) Bucky. I would, if Cap had that technology or if the prince had that technology, I would say, yeah, go for it. But yeah, I, I think being put back on ice is probably the safest thing until we're sure that Tony would use it for the right thing. I just have a problem with Chekhov's barf machine. (laughs) That's not done. (laughs) You're wanting the the barf machine to play out here. It's going to play out. And again, I've seen this mind thing play out over several Iron Man films now. They're definitely keeping that going, that that Tony is working in the mind. Yeah, they, they gotta really resolve his PTSD at some point that they brought up in three. I don't I don't believe that's gone. 
Yeah, I don't know that that will come up in Spider-Man. It may come up in Doctor Strange. We will see this November. But we are left with the very final end-end credit scene, uh, back with, again, the character I think everyone wanted more of, uh, Spidey, or at least Peter. I, lo- I love that he got beat up by Steve and his giant friend. <laughs> Huge. That uh, Funny lines for the Spider-Man, you know? It's really sold me on him. What was he hiding, though? Is, is Why does he need a Spidey signal? Usually you have a bat signal to call Batman to you. What What is that on his... Spider-Man has always had the spider signal, and he shines it on his enemies from his belt, usually, to, like, freeze them in his web, and then he swipes down. It's a classic Stan Lee thing that we have just never seen in any of the movies. Yeah, I don't know if it's been used since Stanley. <laughs> Partly because they always went with that organic web slinging thing until recently, and no, Andrew Garfield didn't. But until recently, yeah. But no, I mean, a lot of setup here. It certainly did change this universe. But how do you guys feel getting to the change, Jacob Stewart? Are you team recommend or team not recommend, Jacob? You know, when I was watching Civil War, I have a, still have a hard time calling it the Captain America movie, but as I'm watching Civil War, you know, the things that I'm admiring, I'm like, oh man, Falcon, I really like his moves, and it seems like they came up with some new ways for his wings to work and to block bullets, and, and I like how this character has developed this thing, and you get that big fight on the tarmac, and I, I'm enjoying watching the mechanics of each character and, and their different fight modes. I, I'm not too absorbed by this story, though. It, it feels... Very convoluted to me. Zemo, I I like when they go for a different kind of villain in the Marvel Universe because I'm sick of shiny rocks. And and so that this is like this personal vendetta. Again, though, it's so convoluted how he gets to the end here. So I'm I'm conflicted. I mean, perhaps I got a civil war going on me. There's things that I like that are mostly technical and I like some of the jokes. But I feel like as far as the story goes, I'm kind of ready for something different. I'm ready to go with some magic and get to Doctor Strange or, or, or see something that just doesn't feel quite like this Marvel Universe that I seen in 12 movies it it feels like this is a very good machine that could put out pretty recommendable films and this is a recommend it's just i'm not hyped up for it like i'm seeing a lot of people where this is the best marvel universe film out today uh, it, it's still middle of the road for me it, it's above age of ultron it, it's around that ant-man territory for me I, I just as far as the story goes i just wanted it to get on with it for most of this film so it, it's a recommend but just that just a recommend Stuart. A much more solid recommend for me. I think it's probably the fourth best Marvel movie as far as I can think of it. I I still think the three great ones, and I do now put Avengers in the great category, it's still Winter Soldier by far. Again, that movie had tension. This movie has tension in moments, but not overall. And Iron Man, which was benefits, I think, from being the first and introducing this world, and Avengers, their first team together. I have two little gripes about this movie, and, and they are this. One, in every single Marvel movie prior to this one, I felt like they were sticking their toe into a different genre. That each time, even if I didn't like the movie, we were getting a different world. It was still Marvel, but, you know, maybe we'd go to outer space. Maybe it was a 70s political thriller. It was a fantasy film. It was a war movie from World War II. They would play with those elements. This is the first time where I felt like I had seen it all before. 
this was the first time where I felt like, oh, this is just season two of the Captain America world. And that's a little disappointing. I always like to get some newness. And we do get that with the new characters, but the genre is not new and the situations are not new. So, Jacob, I hear what you're saying with it feeling a little bit rote, that there's just something about this that feels overly familiar. That said, I still think it's very well written and I think it's very well engineered. The other thing that I would complain, though, is I do feel like in trying to cram all of this in, they're expert at juggling this story. They do the best job that could be to calling it a movie. But I feel like this universe is getting harder and harder to stick into a satisfying movie, that it is bursting at the seams, that it is becoming so hard to get it all in, that there are stretches in this movie where you're like, wow, it's not that I don't like these scenes, but these scenes are really slowing the momentum. And so Mm -hmm. I do feel like that is going to be something in the future they're going to have to address. But I don't want any of these complaints to make it seem like I didn't have a good time. This is a really good one and a solid recommend. Yeah, I... Part of me feels they put Bucky on ice just because we already have two Iron Mans and we got now two Captain Americas. Got to put some of them down. They sent the Hulk and Thor away and now they sent Winter Soldier away because otherwise you you end up with the Iron Man 3 problem of where the hell is everybody. Mm. But yeah, for me, if you can't tell because I've been just so gushing over this film it's a strong recommend my question has been and the reason i saw it three times in one weekend is where does it rank i need more time to sit with it i don't think it's going to break my top four if you went to the venganza media gazette i did rank all 12 as i feel about them now and having you know a lot of these were weekend of release movies we've been doing all of these as they come out since avengers one and so i did have to have some time to process and my number one film after processing was winter soldier that is my favorite marvel movie yeah for me too It's got stakes, it's got action, it's got great characters, and it's got a good villain. It's like the best written of all these movies. Jacob, earlier this show, you said you have problems with Marvel villains. That's a chronic issue. Except Bucky. Yeah, Winter Soldier. Number two is still Iron Man, three Avengers, and four Guardians. I don't think this cracks that four, but... It may very well be, you know, five, six, or seven. In fact, I think it is five, because my current number five is Thor. It's definitely oh better God. than Thor. So <laughs> Thor is yeah. way too high on your list. <laughs> yeah, that's at the bottom of mine still. But hey, whatever. To each their own. I mean, I agree with you guys both. I'm trying so hard to judge every movie as its own movie in a vacuum. And being a huge Marvel fan, it's really hard for me to say that superhero fatigue is a real thing. And there was a feeling in this of been there, done that, despite it being like the biggest monster mash of superheroes ever and having a total geek gasm at Giant Man and Spider-Man and all of that. It was the culmination of all that had come before, but it didn't take it to new places. And for all of the he's my friend, so was I, it didn't have the emotion of Winter Soldier because it is so jam-packed. I'll say what I feel, though, is, man, 
This should have just been Avengers 2. Screw Age of Ultron. Yes, when they all you. got back together, this should have been it. Age of Ultron had so many problems. This movie, I'm sure the Russo brothers had as big of a challenge when making it, and they pulled it off. To me, this is the true Avengers 2, and it's a strong recommend. I do love this film, and I can't wait to see that fight again and again and again. But it wasn't perfect and maybe it's going to even raise in esteem as time goes on i know for a fact that i'm going to miss cap and iron man because it's a couple years before we're going to see them again well again tony stark may show back up in spider-man i think that's confirmed now but i'm going to miss our avengers as we go into the future with all these different things i mean dr strange i saw the trailer it looks interesting it's a teaser trailer they haven't shown us much I, I was surprised they didn't work a tease into this movie at all. I guess there was just no room. I mean, I shouldn't be that surprised. This movie is crammed to the max and super long, but we did get the trailer at the beginning. You know, I know she's taken a lot of heat, but Tilda Swinton is the thing I'm most excited about yeah. <laughs> about in the trailer. I really love her, and I think she'll be fun as that character. Asian or not, I want to see her. I'm a little uh, dicey on Cumberbatch's Hugh Laurie impersonation. I think the uh, special effects look a lot like Inception and with the flipping of the buildings and mm -hmm. all of that. Yeah. I wish I wish I could be more excited. I'm still excited for Marvel to take on horror. Again, they're going into a new genre and that is what I want them to do each time. So I am excited about that, but the trailer does not excite me. I hope it's horror. The trailer didn't make it look like horror. It made it look I agree. like Iron yeah. Man with magic. But <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I could be very disappointed if I'm wanting it. They got a horror movie director, and I do feel like because of that 70s TV pilot that never made a show <laughs> out of, that they could go in that realm. If they had gotten Guillermo del Toro, they would have gone in that realm. But they didn't, and we will just see what it is in November. And I'll remain cautiously optimistic, but I'm not chomping at the bit. Yeah, that's kind of where I am, is it's Marvel, I'll see it. I like Strange in the comics, at least his look. I think Cumberbatch looks the part. I'm intrigued. And then next year is our first year with three Marvel Cinematic Universe films, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, and Thor Ragnarok. I'm excited sort of about one of those. I know which one. Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> Thor Ragnarok? Thor and Hulk together again? Like Return of the Incredible Hulk? Come at the troll? I'm, I'm looking forward to that. You are, yes. Uh, Thor solo movies have worked the least for me, so... <laughs> yeah, they are always near the bottom, and uh, I... It's not that I hate the world. The, the frustrating part is I just feel like they haven't delivered. Uh, they haven't been written or designed or directed in a way that makes them very satisfying. They feel like the stupidest ones of them all. And maybe <laughs> they can fix that, but I'm not excited. And then Guardians 2, we know how you feel, Stuart, but I'm really excited for Guardians 2. Yeah, I know that people are, and I will. I promise that I will rewatch that movie having years off and having many, many people tell me how wrong I was about it. I'll give it. <laughs> another chance but uh yeah i'm not excited but we got more marvel maybe not the cinematic universe but marvel properties coming up this month x-men i keep forgetting we're doing it i keep forgetting it's coming <laughs> out and i love the x-men films but that one feels like such an afterthought Ooh. this summer I'd be okay if you forgot this one. I'm not excited for it. Uh, really? Then I, it will be me to be the most excited. I really feel like X-Men has been at its peak 
with this going back through time thing. The fact that we're going to get to the 80s and I really like the last one and I really like First Class, so I have no reason to believe I really won't like Apocalypse. I really love First Class to the point that I'm almost getting a tattoo from it. I'm going to rewatch Days of Future Past. I've rewatched it once on home video. I'm going to watch the Rogue Cut before seeing this new one so I can talk about it. But it was no first class for me. And these trailers, maybe it's just bad marketing. It just, it feels like another overly heavy, self-serious film. And after Batman v Superman, I didn't need one of those. Trailers lie. I, I don't believe any trailer anymore at this point. Then that gives you hope for Ghostbusters, I guess. Yeah, it does. Which is our donation series that is coming up. Last Friday, we finished our Men in Black trilogy for silver level donors. This Friday, our gold level donation begins. We're going to space for another sci-fi adventure, Critters. Although we're not doing the Critters franchise, I want to make it clear, because we're focused on summer 1986 and specifically the sci-fi one-offs that came out during that time, Critters is not a one-off, but we're treating it as such just because that's the way that gold level works. We've seen all four movies, we'll talk about all four movies, but the focus is on 1986, April, Critters coming to theaters and kicking off that summer. But Stuart and I did watch all four Critters films. We kind of have a mini retrospective after the recommends there. We do go through the other three films a little bit for the completists out there. But yeah, 1986, we've got Critters, Space Camp, Big Trouble in Little China, Labyrinth, Invaders from Mars, and Night of the Creeps. All for gold-level donors who donate $25 or more. If you do $10 or more right now, you'll get the Men in Black series. And then later on, we're going to be doing Independence Day 1 and 2. I just saw that new Independence Day 2 trailer for the first time before two of my showings of Civil War. It's looking good to me. I'm glad to see Pullman back. Judd Hirsch is still alive. You know, my problem with Independence Day was never that it lacked for spectacle. It looks good. I'll give you that. It's also directed by Roland Emmerich. Which means it could have good action. You know, we'll, we'll certainly be discussing it. But yes, I started this whole discussion with Ghostbusters. For platinum-level donors who go $35 or more, you get all the Men in Black shows, Independence Day shows, all the 1986 shows, and we bust three ghosts. Ghostbusters 1, Ghostbusters 2, and the now-very-hot-button controversial trigger-warning safe-space Ghostbusters film. (laughs) Or not. I predict this will be a tempest in a teapot once people finally see it. It wasn't a particularly exciting trailer, I'll give you, but they are funny ladies. It is a funny director. and The funny director who told the internet basically to go F itself. (laughs) <laughs> it made me laugh. Well, the internet needs to be told that now. And yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm in that camp as well. I do think that people are rushing to judgment because it's not the way that they remember it. I think that that's fair, but I also think you need to give it a chance. I know I'm going to, and looking forward to July. I will be going in with a very open mind. Good. And if you're going to join us continually with Tuesdays, we're not done with superheroes. We got Hellboy next week. Yeah, well, before we get to... The Apocalypse with the X-Men, one of my favorite comic book properties. Yeah, Mike Mignola's Hellboy with Guillermo del Toro doing Hellboy 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. And later, after we finish with some turtles and conjuring, we'll be getting into Jason Bourne as well. So we got a jam-packed summer. Yep, I definitely got a Jason Bourne feel 
off of some of these scenes here in Civil War when they were in Germany and chasing Bucky and all those super soldiers. It reminded me of the first Bourne film. Yeah, I can see that. I got that feeling because they had the trailer before. (laughs) So, Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. To our listeners, thank you for joining us. Thank you for downloading this show week after week. I really appreciate you spending the time with us. And to our donors especially, thank you for giving us the resources that allow us to do this show week after week. If you enjoy this show, please donate or at the very least thank a donor because without them we couldn't do the show. So we'll be back next week with Hellboy. And until then, Avengers Assemble! Tony, if someone dies on your watch, you don't give up. Who said we're giving up? We are for not taking responsibility for our actions. We may not be perfect, but the safest hands are still our own. If we don't do this now, it's going to be done to us later. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now playing Avengers Retrospective Series. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. Part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series. This is a whole new level of weird. I don't feel inclined to step away from it. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, go to our archives where you can find reviews of other Marvel Comics movie series such as X-Men, The Fantastic Four, Blade, and Punisher, plus DC Comics reviews of Green Lantern, Batman, and Superman. Good luck keeping up. We also have non-comic-based movie reviews such as Star Trek, Terminator, Halloween, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Tron, and many more. I'm bringing the party to you. You will also find individual movie reviews such as Cowboys and Aliens, Avatar, and Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. We made this thing, all of us. Please. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this show with other listeners. Here we remain as a beacon of hope, shining out across the stars. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. You've seen what he becomes, right? I have. And it's beautiful. Godlike. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You have to explain that statement, sir. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Is it too much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy t-shirts, totes, boxers, coffee mugs, teddy bears, and much more. Get yourself something nice for me. I already did. And? Oh, it's very nice. Very tasteful. Now Playing's Avengers Retrospective Series is edited by Heath. And Arnie. I've moved on to the next one because that's what we do, right? I mean, that's the job. Now playing credit narration by Brock. Wow. You spoke to me with what you did, and I know that you knew that I'd be listening. Now playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises or Marvel Studios, Paramount Pictures, Universal Pictures, or the Disney Company. The Avengers, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, The Incredible Hulk, and all that the Marvel Universe contains are the property and trademark of the Disney Company and no infringement is intended. You really think that just because you have an idea, it belongs to you? 
The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2016, all rights reserved. Any last words? Hulk! Smash! Sorry, Tony. You know I wouldn't do this if I had any other choice. But he's my friend. So was I. I think that everyone wants to see that. I mean, what else are you going to see? Snow White 2? I want to see Keanu. (laughs) I I joked that I went to the theaters on Thursday night to see Zootopia. Well, I will not (laughs) see Zootopia. I did see that post, yeah. (laughs) You could have seen Thor and the Huntsman, but I'd rather respect him by averting my eyes. I can't believe that's still in theaters. (laughs) Can Chris Hemsworth ever get a non-Marvel success? I guess we'll see with Ghostbusters, but he has not had a good track record. But no, I was, I mean, was because Z, Zemo, yeah, Zemo. I keep wanting to call him Zima. You remember that wine yes. cooler? Yeah. Well, it was actually a beer, supposedly, <laughs> but yeah, it tasted like a wine cooler. And I do like we have a reason for this poor kid to have like a super cool suit. Like this is Tony's doing. We see what the Spider-Man suit is like before when Peter Parker's in charge of it. But no, the one we're going to see in the big fight is because Tony Stark gives it to him. He, he gets it made for him. Does this mean we're not going to get Arachne? <laughs> yeah, nobody knows what you're talking about anymore, Stuart. Turn off the dark has been flushed. 